Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We're here, finally! We're mere hours away from the launch of Tears of the Kingdom. How are you feeling? The game is about to start coming out around the world very soon. Yay! I'm feeling triumphant. You are? Like we said last week, people were on edge, people were tense. I wasn't sure we were all going to collectively make it. But we did, we are here. We're here now. Game is about to come out in, in mere hours. And soon we will be all playing, enjoying, and hopefully having some wonderful moments together in Hyrule and it's gonna be amazing. This is what it's about. We've waited years. So many years. For this game mm-hmm. on pins and needles and it's finally gonna happen. All that, yes, all all that, that anticipation yeah, finally gets paid off. All that anxiety that's been building inside, just get the release, it's yes. gonna be great. Um, but we are going to talk about what happens at Nintendo after a huge game like Tears of the Kingdom launches. We were, we were, we've been through this. We were obviously there for the launch of Breath of the Wild and, and you, Sir, personally, did a lot of the the after stuff. Um, yeah. A lot goes on. We now get to celebrate and be in the moment yes. of this great new game. But and, guess what? And play it and enjoy it. But if, if you're at Nintendo, it pretty quickly turns to, okay, what's the next thing? It becomes a panic pretty There's soon. There's kind of a skeleton crew that's left to oversee yeah. the thing that just happened. Right. But... Yeah, it's like, well, what do we have for the rest of the year? What are mm-hmm. we doing? Let's get going. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to look at that and prognosticate about oh, prognosticate. What, what might be coming. That's a good word. That's what we do. That's a word of the day toilet paper that you got going there? <laughs> toilet paper? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Um, we, all are also, we are also continuing with our all Zelda-themed story times. Yes. With the final part three of this great Mr. Aonuma story that we've been telling. Part one, obviously, was when he ate a very dirty New York hot dog. Part two was my Big Al that we told last week. Part three, we're back to the triumphant conclusion. We're ending though. on a high note and we brought in a special guest to help us. Yes. Uh, someone we know super, super well because he was alongside us with so many of these Zelda projects. Yeah. Again, also working very closely with Mr. Anuma. His name is Rob Tunstall. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've heard the name, maybe you haven't, but he was on the localization team involved in so many Zelda games. He's no longer with Nintendo, but he's going to join us today yeah. to talk about all this. And he was there for Indeed. this particular story time as well. Right. So it's going to be really fun for the three of us to just look back on some of these fond memories that we've all shared with Mr. Anuma as a way to celebrate, again, this wonderful game coming out. That's right. All right, as usual, everything that we do here on this channel is made possible by our wonderful Patreon subscribers. Thank you so, so much for keeping us going. We have the best community ever. It's true. Uh, We have right now in our Discord the hot conversation about Tears of the Kingdom. We also have this big spoiler thread. Nobody's been spoiled. I'm happy to say. I was just going to say, everyone is so, um, like, considerate. Very polite about it. Yeah. No one's been spoiled. Yeah, we, we really do have the most wonderful people that are um, in our community. So if you want to join us, we're at patreon.com slash kitandkrista. Lots of other perks as well. You get the bonus Q&As, you get early access to this podcast, and 
we've been doing some Patreon exclusive videos. That's been yes. really fun. We have two exclusive videos, meaning we are not going to release them to the public ever. Ever. First is an extended conversation with Frank Cifaldi, who is the founder of the Video Game History Foundation. Mm -hmm. That's a great conversation. That's about 20 minutes long. Very nice yeah. and meaty. Yeah. And then we have a video showing off some of our uh, The Legend of Zelda treasures, including this incredible, you want to know the story behind how we got this piece of artwork signed by Mr. Anuma and the original artist. Yeah. Check out that video to find out. Yeah. You were very, um, you wanted this video to be a Patreon exclusive because the treasures are too good. They're too Look. It's treasure for a reason. Yes. Okay. They're they're yeah. too exclusive, so we had to release it to a very. Yeah. When you duck your head in that treasure chest, it's really glowing back at you. Oh my! Yeah. Well, it's glowing back at all of our Patreon members, yeah. is what it is. I will say there there are now more ways to get in if you're curious about Patreon than mm -hmm. ever. So again, at the base level, we have a two dollar a month tier. That's a great place to get started. Yeah. And if you want to go up from there, you can. You can get a free trial for our most popular tier, which is the. $5 a month uh, tier, which will get you early access, access to our Discord, all sorts of other great things. There's a new feature that Patreon has introduced that we are helping them to test. Yeah. Which is the free tier, which doesn't get you that much, to be honest, but it gets you into Patreon, gets you understanding what that Patreon experience is like. You can vote in the polls that we include in this podcast. A lot of times we ask for feedback uh, via Patreon or we ask for your input. You can be a part of that. So again, if you're just curious about what Patreon is and how it works, three great ways to get it. One is completely free forever, too. So True. if that is yeah. a way for you, then great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful that Patreon um, has been such a great partner to us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, Patreon is what keeps all of this going. So Indeed. yeah, hopefully you guys join us. Um, awesome. The other cool thing that we're doing right now is trying to get back to Japan this year. And we're getting excited for that. We are doing that via Super Thanks and Super Chat, which you can do right there on YouTube. Um, just, you know, anything you can do to help support us. Japan is very expensive and we need the funding to help us go to Japan and make all of these great videos for you guys. So if you're wanting to see awesome content from Japan from us this year, then consider a super thanks or a super chat. That's right. Every little bit helps. The meter is moving and it's great. I was going to call it the thermo thermomo meter, but that's actually what it's called. It's a thermometer. So <laughs> The thermometer? The thermomo meter. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is I've created English, a new though. word, which was a word that already existed. <laughs> you know I mean? It is Zelda week. Oh, man, the it is Zelda week. Zelda week. Yes. So let's just run through the schedule real fast. Uh, by now, these videos are already out on the channel. Mm -hmm. Please watch them if you haven't. We have ranked all of the links. There's a lot of links. Um, people are mad about that. Of course. We have released <laughs> our video ranking all of the Zelda music. Oh, boy. People are also mad about that. I'm sure. <laughs> Just be mad. Be mad. We are here to be your objects of ire. I guess. Yes. I mean, as long as it's sparking some conversation, right. we're here for it. We have also done, this is a feel-good video, we've said goodbye to Breath of the Wild. You can't be mad about that, by guys. By visiting some of our favorite places, sharing some of our favorite stories. Mm. It's a warm and fuzzy one. Warm and fuzzy, a little emotional, but yes, need yes. to be done. And then uh, tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, Friday, we are streaming Tears of the Kingdom. Yes. The from first the hours. Gonna, from the very we're beginning. Gonna, yes. We're just going to go in and go in blind and go for it. Yeah, you said, what are you going to do on Thursday night when this game comes out at, at 9 p.m. our time? Because you can't play. You're like taunting me because you can't play it because you got to start fresh on the stream. Yeah, start fresh on the stream. What me are you and I do? might be at a midnight launch event. Who knows? Are you having solidarity with me? Or are you not streaming yourself? 
Um, I guess that's a no. No. Thanks for nothing. That's going to be a no. <sighs> Unless we're at the midnight launch event, and then I will be with you. And then that, that means I can't play. You'll be streaming from midnight to 4 a.m. I'll be at be in line half streaming. asleep in this live stream. <laughs> I'll be... Spoiling me. I'll be taking a nap and you'll be streaming. I is see. What, is what's happening right. on Friday. Well, it's pretty much yeah. how it usually goes. Hey! Looking ahead, you. we also have a great Super Kitten Krista 64 episode, which is coming out this weekend for our oh, Patreon yeah. subscribers a couple days early. It's a great Very perk. Exciting. We went to a... Actually, went to several... Japanese supermarkets in search of game-themed snacks. We found some doozies, guys. We'll not spoil what happened. Yeah. But we found some great some stuff. Some stuff happened. Some stuff that's even not not of the snack variety that we still got. Yeah. And we tried out. Yes, exactly. And there were some moments that I just never expected in my whole life to happen <laughs> in that video. That happened. Anyways, if that's not a tease for you guys, I don't know what is. So be on the lookout for that next great Super Kitten Christmas right. 64 vlog. It's a good one. Yes. All right. Before we get into our wonderful story, Mr. Rob Tunstall, we've got to say this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Yay! Thank right. you, BetterHelp. So think of yourself in any given week. How much time are you spending giving to other people, giving yourself to other people, giving your time versus giving back to yourself? Yeah. It's so easy to get caught up in a way where you're maybe outputting more of yourself than you're intaking. Right. So it is good to check in with a licensed BetterHelp therapist to make sure that you're filling your cup back up. Because if you don't, you're just going to be running on empty and that's not going to be good for anybody around you or yourself. That can be a tough balance to get right because there's so much in life where you do have to give of yourself and it mm -hmm. feels like it's constantly coming at you. But yeah, it is very important to take time for yourself, to recharge and put yourself first. So yeah, that's where better help can help. Exactly. It's it's tough to you know be so stretched and, and burned out. That feeling I think everyone has from time to time, us included, and having someone there that can talk to you about you know how you're feeling and, and even give you really actionable steps to feel better um, is really great. And you can you know talk to a better help therapist any way. You can text them, you can chat with them, um, you can do video conference, you can do just a phone call, anything that you feel comfortable with, um, anything that you have time for. You're able to do that with BetterHelp, which is really nice. It's very flexible. It is very easy. We love it. So find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash KittenKrista today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash KittenKrista. Put the link right over here and also in the description below. All right. Shall we get into our story time with our special guest, Rob Tunstall? Let's do it. Well, we're very excited today to be joined by the one, the one and only Rob Tunstall. Hi, Rob. How's it going? Hello. Good. Yeah. How are you? Good. We were just uh, chatting. We, it's been a while since we were able to talk, but Rob, um, you, yeah. me, and Kit worked together on a ton of Zelda projects in our day at Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we're going to tell one of those stories today, but uh, I think we wanted to just get started by letting you tell the good people here what you used to do at Nintendo. Yeah. Um, well, I think, boy, when did I start? I would have been 2012, like spring 2012. So almost exactly nine years ago. No, 
wait, how does math work? 11 years ago. It would be 11 <laughs> years ago now. Um, yeah, I started, uh, I'd actually worked in uh, the testing department for a while um, on a contract in in a group called Developer Guideline Comprehension, which was oh. about uh, making sure developers were following specific guidelines. Uh, mm. And I don't remember anything else, so please have no follow-ups about that. Uh, but <laughs> uh, about a year year after that, I yeah, I got a job uh, in the Treehouse and the localization department at Nintendo of America, and. Uh, Worked there for about seven years. I left in early 2019. Um, but yeah, during my time there, I, I think I started on, it was like right in the middle of Animal Crossing, New Leaf, it would have been. Um, mm-hmm. I was on that for a while. Uh, I think my next project after that was actually, I think what we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, Link Between Worlds. That was kind of my, oh no, it would have been Pikmin 3 after that. Pikmin 3, A Link Between Worlds. Yokai Watch, maybe, was after that. <laughs> eventually, eventually, I was like on arms. Oh, I was on the first platoon, I think. I was on, I was on arms. I was on Super Mario Odyssey, uh, Breath of the Wild. Yep. That was kind of an all hands on deck. Um, uh, chipped in on one on the fire emblem the one where it's the two countries oh god <laughs> it's so hard to remember stuff fates conquest revelations yeah it was that yeah the I, three I games on that. yeah i think i'm not credited on that because i was on it for like a day and i remember one of the writers on it came up to me and was like hey do you want to be credited on that and i was just like no <laughs> it's fine. Like so I, humble. Didn't, I didn't well i didn't feel like i did anything i was like i like translated a support conversation, and then I was off on to something else. Hey, those um, are important stuff. So. It's true. Uh, but, and then I think the last title I was on was uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so that took me up to the end. I'm sure there was other stuff in there, but those are those are the big hitters, I think. Yeah, yeah. And we've been sharing all these Zelda stories about things that we did with Mr. Aonuma and other developers over the years, and what people may not know is that you were really there for pretty much all of those with us. So you yeah. were kind of <laughs> the third part of our Triforce. <laughs> you are, you oh, are. Wow. Am I, which one am I? Wisdom? <laughs> you can decide. I think, I think you're wisdom. Okay. You're probably I'm pretty wisdom. sure you're wisdom. Certainly not us. Yeah. I'll, I'll accept What that, is yeah. it like <laughs> working on localization for a Zelda game compared to other games or series that you worked on? Like, What, what is unique and, and different about doing that for Zelda? It feels like really, I mean... You always take your job seriously. I think working on a Zelda title, it feels like holy. You're like, oh, I, we really need to get yeah. this right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this really needs to be good. Like, this, I don't know. It's like someone asked you to, like, translate, like, an ancient text or something. It's like, it feels, like, very, like, momentous and important. You're like, oh, you know, I hope I hope I do this justice. Um, and, uh, I mean, hopefully we did. But, um, yeah, it just, it has a real... I don't know. I mean, that's how the games felt to me growing up, too. They always had this, like, almost, like, sacred quality to them. Um, And, yeah, working on it was definitely the same way. It just felt like, I don't know, you're, like, tapped into something, like, really uh, important. Yeah. And I think localization is a is a function where people are still kind of grasping how it works and like what the flow of of the work is. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Of you know, 
once you start working, like how are you working with the development team? How are you receiving information just to kind of more broadly get people aware of, of what happens in localization? Sure. Um, so when I started, there were kind of two different approaches. Um, so one case would be a game is done, like a Japanese version of it exists. It might have even been released. So you're kind of working with a completely finished text um, to put out an English uh, and you know Spanish, French, all the European languages, like a you know a localized version of it, like quite a bit down the line sometimes. And that's obviously in some sense, like the text is settled, like it's not going to change anymore. So that, that, you know, makes it easy in one sense, but it's also, you're also working in a situation where it's just like, okay, well, everyone who developed this game kind of moved on to the next thing. So like, how easy is it to get, you know, there'll, there'll obviously be like people, points of contact, um, and you'll be able to get information and hopefully you can get all the information you need because, um, regardless of how it's being done, like you're kind of in constant communication with, you know, um, you know, the dev team, be that like, you know, this ancillary dev team who's helping you now localize it or, you know, the, the kind of original dev team. Um, you're constantly like sending them questions, having meetings, emails back and forth every day. Um, so that kind of like, you know, staggered approach um, was one way. And that was increasingly less common. Um, even when I started, I think most of the titles I worked on were actually done pretty much simultaneously. So like, you know, the Japanese version and the localized version were just released simultaneously worldwide release date. Um, so obviously that's kind of a, like you're, you know, you're flying, you're building the plane while you're flying it kind of situation. Um, but then you're just like very like tight knit, like closely working together with, you know, the devs as they're making the game. Um, and it's really great. It feels, it feels really, you know, a lot of times <clears throat> when you're translating something, you don't have access to the person who wrote the text, um, you know, just in different areas of translation, but on a game where you're kind of like the game is being localized as it's being made, you're just completely, it feels like you're, you know, you're obviously physically separated, but it feels like you're pretty much embedded in the dev team and you can ask questions, you know, context, like, what does this mean? What's the intent behind this? Like, this is ambiguous. This could be read two ways what way should it be read? Like, you know, what should this actually mean? Um, and so it, you know, I think I, I often see like people, you know, talk about localization where they're like, well, obviously like the translators missed the intent. And I'm like nine times out of 10, they just asked the developer what the intent was. <laughs> so like they knew what the intent, like, I don't know. I feel like that's a situation that I think people like outside of localization imagine a lot probably. And I think, most of the time it doesn't happen because you just, you can just talk to them. You can just say, Hey, what does this mean? Or what, you know, what should, you know, what should the effect of this be on someone reading it? You know, that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. So those were kind of like the two big ways. Um, and I think now probably most of the time it is like simultaneous release, unless like it's kind of like a legacy title, something that came out a long time ago and it's getting like a translation that it never had one. But I think most things are simultaneous. Um, I was actually thinking about it this morning and thinking back and realizing that a uh, link between worlds was, uh, actually a huge outlier it was and this is just a matter of public record uh if you look at the release dates uh the north american release date for that was i think like probably like the week before black friday and the japanese release date was i think like six weeks later in the beginning of january 
So <laughs> the English version of that actually had to come out first. So that was almost like, I don't know, like laying the track down in front of the train, like, like, but like not even having track most of the time is <laughs> kind of what it felt like. So that was, that. I mean, that was a really interesting situation. Um, and like, yeah, I, I never had that situation again. Any other time I was localizing a title, it was just that one. Um, I think after that, for the most part, titles became pretty, you know, pretty regularly would just be like a simultaneous worldwide release. But um, yeah, I mean, that was tough. That put pressure on everyone, right? Because like the the Japanese team, the Japanese writers are like, they're having to put together the text maybe quicker than they thought they would have to because, you know, they have to be feeding us, the translators and the editors and everyone over on the English side who are trying to get the English version of the game done. Um, so it was pretty hectic. And then I think... I think I was like in the middle of that. We went on this trip to New York. I mean, we, I don't know. I'm, I was able to get away. <laughs> so it must have been, the project must have been in good shape because I was gone for a week. Um, but yeah, that was, that trip was in the beginning of October. So it would have mm-hmm. been like, you know, less than a month before the English release date, which is, yeah, I know probably crunch time for you guys on the localization time so yeah it was yeah i mean i guess i guess time. it must have been done it must have been like like yeah. I don't know, it must have been in testing by then i guess you I, were writing it hope. in your hotel room at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah is that what happened okay <laughs> right the other thing that i think people there's a misconception about localization is people a lot of people think that it's just like a straight translation from mm-hmm. the japanese text but <clears throat> Especially at Nintendo, that that wasn't the case really at all. Um, can you talk a little bit more about sort of what localization actually entailed um, and what the difference is between localization and straight translation? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when often like when someone like talks about like a straight translation or direct translation, my response is kind of like, well, I don't really know what you mean by that because, like, if I like if I really did a direct translation, it would be sort of incomprehensible. I mean, I guess maybe that would be like a literal translation, but like, I feel like there's not really any like if you're aiming to make like good, like legible, like readable, like English text that like carries the same meaning and makes you know the person reading it feel the same thing that you know a Japanese speaking person would feel reading the original Japanese text. You're going to, I wouldn't even call them liberties. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like people, people get kind of like bent out of shape with like the idea of like things being different or like incorporating like English slang or colloquialisms into a translation. But to me, I'm just like, well, that's what translation is. Like you make, like this sounds natural in Japanese. It should sound natural in English, you know, at the end. Um, And like one of the ways uh, that, you know, and the trials we, we went about that was that we kind of had a two, well, actually kind of like a three-step approach. So we would have like a translation, which, you know, like kind of like the first pass, which would be done by like bilinguals uh, like myself. Um, and then we would have, so we'd have that, the translation column, and then we'd have the rewrite column. And then there'd be maybe some back and forth, like clarifying things through that. And then, you know, editors, an editor pass, and then that's all before it gets sent to testing, which involves like text checking. So then there's all even more like, you know, cleanup of the text. So um, it's a pretty 
like uh, thorough approach, I guess. Like, you know, lots of people like, you know, hand like look at the text. Lots of people like question, you know, things like should this actually be like this? Like, you know, uh, translators and writers like, you know, collaborate a lot. Um, figuring out like, you know, you know, what what something could actually be like or like a translator might look at like um, the end product and be like, hey, actually something got lost along the way and I think we need to put it back in. And you have a discussion about that. And, yeah, so it's very like collaborative, thorough. It's not really like one person, like one person's voice. It's it's really like a, a team effort, I would say. Um, and yeah, I think... I think I think it's a very successful uh, approach too. Like I think I think you know all the titles I was a part of. Like I look at the end product text, and it's like it's very clean. It's got like heart. It's got character. Like yeah, I think I think it works. Nintendo's been the gold standard in localization for a long time. Like what what do you think Nintendo is doing that other companies are not that makes it stand out? It's a good question. I know originally. Um, it was kind of a big thing for um, the people who basically like started the North American, the Nintendo of America localization department that um, like uh, that they actually like hire people who had like a writing background. I think a lot of localization previously was handled like just by translators and even maybe not even like people whose like the target language was their native language, um, which is usually kind of a best practice. Like you kind of want to translate into the language that like is your native language. Um, ideally some, some people can do it and are fantastic, but they're geniuses. I don't know how to do it. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there's always been an emphasis on hiring people from like, who have like creative writing backgrounds. I think, finding people finding and inserting people who are like kind of writers first into the localization process. And I think treating it more as something more akin to games writing than just translation. It seems to have been uh, the approach, like at least from my perspective, I think. And then I think, you know, just the, the thoroughness, like I talked about like that kind of like, you know, you have like those three passes and then you have like, you know, even further testing after that. Like, I think it's just, you know, they're, they're very serious about it. Yeah. So let's get into this uh, story of a link between worlds and all the nonsense we got up to in New York. I'm curious just for a starting point, like when we would contact you about one of these PR trips or one of these PR opportunities, like, would you roll your eyes of like, Oh gosh, these people are up at it again. Like, obviously that's, that's <laughs> not your like day to day job. Like how did you, how did you feel about doing that kind of stuff? You mean at you in general or us? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like, at Kit, not at me. Like, like, oh, no, me. I, no, I don't know. It was always, it was always fun. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, if I got like, I mean, I would say I always had two reactions. I was like, one, this is going to be fun. Two, it's like, oh, uh, this is terrifying. Oh, God, because I have to like do all that interpreting and it's like super stressful. So it was always like kind of both. Um, but yeah, I think every kind of like, you know, PR thing, like trips, like this was the Comic Con, but like, you know, stuff going down to E3, it's always like, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be very tired during and after. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mostly have positive emotions about it, I think. <laughs> One of those th things that strikes me about those trips is like 
you are really our gate to communicating with these developers. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. we don't understand a word of what they are saying. So it, it is really like upon you to like help us out and, and keep us in the know. Like, how, how do you decide like what is worthwhile to even tell us? Obviously, if we're having like a direct conversation, <laughs> that's that's important. But there's a lot mm-hmm. of like side conversation, which you could just completely leave us out of. I think a lot of times it's just a lot of the times it's just like sort of like pacing yourself, like on how much like mental energy you have. Cause like, I think the big question is like, yeah, side conversation is happening. Was I really paying attention or was I like taking a breather myself? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, depending on what it is. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it kind of just has to be a judgment call, right? Like, like, Oh, yeah, that was important. They really seen- need to know that. We have seen like firsthand how mentally taxing, like doing Mm -hmm. long-term translation and and oftentimes when it gets to be very like specific in terms of, you know, the jargon or the terminology, we've seen people at like an E3 have to physically lay down after translating a very intense (laughs) session. (laughs) So we really appreciate the the effort that went into that. For these, for these things where you were doing like a panel at Comic-Con, like you didn't have a lot of time to prep. Like, was that hard for you and Mr. Alnumedic to kind of get your back and forth rapport down? Or, or was that pretty, like, quickly just just locked in? You know, I think this was, like, maybe, I think I had gone to E3 earlier that year. And maybe that was my first time really mm-hmm. doing that kind of interpretation. Because that would have been pretty early on. Um, this is kind of my second time really doing it. So I, rem- I mean, I was, like super like scared like i'm sure like i got to the airport in seattle and i was like what if maybe i just don't get on the plane what if i just walk i always like think things like that and i'm like no i should go and then i you know i really you know i'm glad i went but yeah i think so we had i remember before we did the panel we did have a few interviews uh we did like we were in some office right and then maybe i was mm-hmm. did nintendo have an we were, office we were probably in the yeah we were in the old nintendo new york right. office we did like a day of interviews that's when he ate the dirty hot dog and then yeah. we did <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then we did like a few just a little bit of prep but right that was like it was pretty you know the time was very very limited so yeah, I we so we had a little bit of time together. I think we had done like a video conference, I think, and they like mm-hmm. I think they like sprung on me that I was going to interpret the meeting. I thought I was just like going to sit in. And then they I think they were like, "Well, since you're going to be interpreting for Mr. Onuma, could you just interpret this whole meeting?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but uh, what I was going to say is, I mean, Onuma sounds like such a like old hand at so like interpreting is obviously a skill but like being interpreted for is a skill as well Mm. like knowing how to talk like because you kind of like you don't want to like speak in like huge long paragraphs and then it's like okay huge long paragraph japanese translator furiously writing maybe continues writing after the speaking is done for a little bit pause huge long paragraph of english and then, you know, repeat that because like, then there's just so much time where the reporter is sitting there, not really engaged with what's happening. 
you know, like it doesn't feel like an interview at that point. And like, um, Aonuma san's really good at this. Miyamoto san was really good when, um, I think I only interpreted for him a couple of times, but he would, you know, he would speak in like these shorter bursts. He, and like, and it's really kind of challenge. One of the challenging things about Japanese is like oftentimes like the verb, like conjugation or like the, like, you know, like the suffix that makes it like positive or negative doesn't come till the end of the sentence. So like, you're like listening to the whole sentence and you're just like, so is he saying we did this or Good we or didn't bad. do this? Good or bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, that so could be like, bad, right? Like, it's like, yeah. did you launch a game or not? <laughs> right. So like, you kind of, you kind of have to like, and you know, I think the people who are good at being interpreted for like get in the habit of kind of like, putting that stuff on like front street, like kind of like, uh, yeah. let me say the really important thing first. Let me go back. Like, and, but like not talking in a way that's like a naturalizing, but just like kind of like speaking with like consideration for the fact that like the interpreter has to like grasp the big idea of what you're saying and like kind of putting that out first and then filling in the details rather than like, like sprinkling details and then like big idea and then like well hopefully the interpreter put it together or understood the journey as opposed to like i don't know it's kind of like i guess like being a good storyteller or speaker in general but i think there is like an added kind of component of like just wanting to you know deliver the information in kind of like bite-sized chunks that still like all flow together when they're put together um I think it's I think it's really hard, but I think he's also just done it so much. So in that sense, my job was pretty pretty easy. Um so yeah, I think I mean I think a lot of credit has to go has to go to him really. Like I think he's just actually good at speaking and good at being interpreted for and good at telling stories. So we did the interview, we did the panel, they both go great. But something we would always try to do with these trips is like, what other value could we get out of them being mm-hmm. there? And uh, at the time, there was a person in the New York office who we affectionately refer to as Hollywood son, who <laughs> we should say was credited in the Mario movie. So, congratulations so he really is Hollywood son now. Nice. Yeah. But he at the time was in charge of these sort of, I don't even know what to call them, like special projects, videos, one-off videos. And he put yeah. together this idea for this video that we could do with Mr. Aonuma, again, promoting A Link Between Worlds, where we would sort of chase him through the streets of New York City um, saying like, oh, I'm here in New York, but they want me to get back to work. So if, if they find me, <laughs> they're going to send me straight back to the office was, was kind of the premise. And I don't know about you. I didn't really think too much about this. I was like, oh yeah, we'll do that after we finish the really important stuff. But <laughs> the, the kicker was that you and I were in it. Yeah. Did we know that? How I don't think I, so. It may have been a late admission <laughs> in their planning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, cause I was planning most of the script and the, you know, like the quote unquote storyboards. It was really not a storyboard. It's not, nothing fancy <laughs> with Hollywood song. And we had plans of, you know, using that as a promotional video as part of the the launch week stuff that we were doing for A Link Between Worlds. And at that point, I think 
you know, the the devs were, and Anumason in particular, were very open to this kind of, um, these kinds of like zany videos. It, it kind of stemmed from a few E3s ago when we had that big developer, um, uh, developer like present and they, they all did like crazy stuff mm. on social media with us. And so I think there was some bit of precedence. So I, it would always struck me as interesting. And as I look back on that video, I'm like, wow, they let us do this. So weird because <laughs> it's such like a, I don't know. It just it didn't feel like it was something super serious. You know, it, it didn't have like a lot of perceived like traditional value up front. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like a big media interview. We could have used the day to do like another six interviews or something like that and have more of that like very tangible like you meet with this outlet this is the result that you get instead Mm -hmm. we gallivanted around new york city for basically the whole day doing this and so i always struck me as it being like odd that this all got approved (laughs) somehow but yeah yeah i mean looking back yeah i mean now that you're saying that i'm like yeah that was weird i think at the time like i was like new enough that I was just like, I guess this is what you do. <laughs> I guess it's, I guess I'm going to do this every six months. Right. Uh, but no, it never, <laughs> I don't think anything quite that strange ever really happened again. Um, so in true so wait, Hollywood we were, song fashion, were we? he had quite an epic scope okay. for this video. So we started in central park. This was like an all day shoot. We started in central yeah. park and then we went like to a few other locations in sort of Midtown. And then we ended up around the office of the production company that we were using, mm-hmm. which was in Brooklyn. Yeah. So, and, and, he, and we also did have like, he must've had a pretty good budget for this because there was a lot of stuff that they added. Like they added the little like wall Alnuma. Yeah. Later. yeah the, the icon, whole- like this, the, the effect of him jumping into the wall. So we were just like, yeah, I guess you'll, you'll do this later. It, it turned out great, but at the time we were like, "What? I'm not sure I know what you want me to do. There was a great shot of him on, like, literally we were in, at Wall Street. And yeah. he, he was, like, very instant. And Wall Street is very far away from Columbus Circle, like, mm-hmm. on the other side of town. So he had made us all go down, basically tromping around New York City. And there was a great shot where Mr. Onuma, like, flattened himself against a brick wall, I think, on in that neighborhood. And that's where he wanted to do like that chalk Mr. Anuma effect, which was amazing. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, again, I was like, how did this get approved? Like we would never (laughs) like years later, we like don't even think about asking for something as ambitious and sort of out of the box as what we did on on that trip. You know, it, the whole trip felt pretty magical. uh, High stepping in that video, Rob. Oh. I think your running technique is outstanding. I'm oh, just going to say that. <laughs> you got to ham it up. You're in a you're in a great video. You got to look like a goofy. You guys had like the goofy sunglasses on too. And the other thing that's really funny was that you guys are both very tall, and I think you're mm-hmm. maybe around the same height. Rob is very tall. Rob yeah, is Rob, much. Are taller you taller than, than Kit, or are you as way a, taller? Yeah. A way yeah. taller. <laughs> okay, a bit there, way taller. Yeah, a bit way. Because there's a a really great. In the thumbnail, there's a great shot of you guys wearing the goofy sunglasses. You both look just so tall compared to Mr. Onuma, who's not very tall. Mm-hmm. And you're standing sort of back to back. And you do look sort of men- a little bit menacing, like both of you, actually, <laughs> even though it's supposed to be kind of 
jokey, but like to have these big tall guys chasing little Mr. Aonuma across New York City was it was pretty it was a pretty um cool spectacle, honestly. Like and you guys, yeah, you guys totally hammed it up and I, I loved it. It was it was really funny. <laughs> I do remember being somewhat confused about like the tone. I was like, is Aonuma-san in danger? Like, are we actually a threat? Like, what are we doing? So I tackle him and cuff him, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we will often sort of lament, you know, Nintendo really pulling back with their developers and you don't really see them very much. Like maybe you'll see them reading off a teleprompter and a Nintendo Direct, like that's an example of the sort of thing that we used to do. It just had a lot of heart to it. Again, it's it's hard to like quantify the sales impact, but it didn't mm. really reflect that sense of playfulness that they have. And, you know, like we love Mr. Aonuma. You know, I think we want everybody else to love Mr. Aonuma because we know how, how great a guy he was. And that did sort of help to impart that in, in some sort of indirect way to the fans. Yeah, I remember, I mean, he, I mean, he hopefully became even more beloved. He already was so beloved at the time. I remember like after the Comic-Con panel, so many people, so many cosplayers had come to that panel. There were like so many people dressed up as Zelda characters and we got like a picture of him like surrounded by them after the end. And I remember... I had like this little conversation with him after it was just like, you know, it looks like the, uh, the picture, the famous picture of like Jim Henson surrounded by all of the Muppets. All the Muppets. Yeah. I was just like, like you're on, I was like, man, man, you're on that level now. Like that's like, you're, you're that kind of creator. I think like, you know, you've inspired all these people to, you know, just love what you've done so much. It was like really great. You know? And I, I don't know. Oh, go ahead. Beyond high-stepping through New York, did you have a favorite moment of working with Mr. Aonuma or interacting with Aonuma? Because, you, again, you had just as many as mm-hmm. we did, if not more. I had, I remember, this was a few years later, but at the Game Awards when Breath of the Wild won, uh, I think we were all there, too. I was there with uh, Aonuma-san and... Um, uh, forgot his name now the ever director uh right guy uh fujibashi-san i'm pretty sure um and yeah i think it was a really funny experience because like i don't know like those shows come together like so hot like like yeah, everything's like pretty last minute like we're kind of like figuring everything out the same last time so like navigating the like the there was that like kind of like reveal where like Aonuma-san like comes out of the mist and pulls the master sword out and like we were up on stage like rehearsing that and blocking it and like like figuring it out like on the fly and I remember like just being struck by like how cheerful and good-natured he was while this was happening because like internally I was just like what are we doing? What am I supposed to do? How is this going to work? And he was just like, it'll work out. We'll be fine. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. That's you're the like mindset. This. We've all got our fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. 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 He yeah, was cause... very good in those situations. He yeah. Was always he was really very good. like good with rolling with the punches and sort of just going with it, which I think is such a great quality for a developer. 
um, probably to have because you probably meet with so much unexpected stuff along the way. And he does seem like he has a good kind of attitude about that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm, for sure. So I think we've all had our great moments and interactions with Mr. Newman. It's so fun to remember those. Rob, after you left Nintendo, you've sort of taken on a new career change. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, so pretty much the whole time I was working at Nintendo, I was also doing um, some film scoring, uh, independent films, um, for a few uh, directors I had met um earlier on, uh, in my like time in Japan and elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I kind of, when it was 2019, I kind of decided, I just decided to leave Nintendo and maybe focus a bit more on that. Um, one of the directors I was working with was like getting a chance to make like, you know, a pretty substantial feature film for the first time. And I was going to score that. And I was like, "Hmm, I probably can't have a day job and do this. So I would need to like, I don't know, like I could have been like, well, I could take like a sabbatical or something. Um, but I decided, you know, I think, and I kind of thought somewhere down the line, I might move away from the Seattle area as well, which I more or less did. I didn't move that far away, but I moved far enough away. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I tried to give music a real shot. Um, so yeah, I've been working, uh, scoring, you know, films and games a bit. And I also still do localization uh, freelance as well. So I think uh, the last the last thing I worked on that came out was actually uh, Three Hopes, the Fire Emblem Three Hopes. So I worked on Three Houses oh. and Three Hopes, even though one was internal and one was uh, external. So that's weird how that worked out. <laughs> yeah. It's a good game. Good yeah. writing. <laughs> any any of the games that you've scored that you'd want to shout out if people want to check those out? Oh, sure. Um, there's a few things that are still in development, um, but there is a there is a, a local a Seattle indie title called Repost with an exclamation point, which is a uh, party game, fencing party game, uh, where it's usually two-on-two um, and like one player is controlling the sword and one is the shield and you're trying to, uh, kind of coordinate. It's, it's, it's really fun. Actually, it's hard to describe. Um, so hopefully people, people give it a shot. Um, and yeah, and I would say also the film, uh, EK boys, uh, which I scored came out, uh, I think it's on digital rental, but it's basically about, uh, some teenagers in Oklahoma who are given superpowers by a cursed anime DVD. Uh, it's got anime <laughs> sections. It's got tokusatsu, like Godzilla style sections. It's got like Common Rider uh, DNA in it as well. So if you're into any of that stuff, you'll probably uh, enjoy it. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you are a man of many talents, Rob. Damn. Yeah, we were always <laughs> inspired, Rob, by you and and how you sort of, you know, left Nintendo to follow your dream. And and oh, here we real? are. We we did the same. Inspired by you. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it truly was like amazing when you, um, you know, when you were leaving, we were really sad, obviously, but we were also really excited for you because that's what you were doing. You were leaving to like follow your, you know, dream of becoming a musician. And, and we thought that was really amazing. So glad well, to hear that everything has been going really <laughs> well for you. Yeah. And I'm glad. I mean, and, and it seems like we... things are going well with you too. So I'm glad about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before we wrap up, if people want to find you online, where can they look you up? 
Oh boy. Uh, I am Robert Tunstall on Twitter while that still exists. Uh, Rob Tunstall music <laughs> on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, hopefully those stay around. <laughs> awesome. Who knows? It's all a shot yeah. in the dark at this point, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for hanging out with us. It was so great to catch up and, and just share some of our shared wonderful memories that we have with Animasan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. So in our Never a Minute segment, you had the good idea last week to not end with a downer of ranking <laughs> the bottom of the barrel of we Zelda games. So we're stopping at 10. It. You can figure out the rest on your own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> one day we'll have like a downer episode where we just talk about the bottom of the barrel of Zelda games, which there are some. Um, but I wanted to, you know, for Zelda week, we have to stay on the positive and talk about good, great, wonderful things that we love about right. the Zelda series. And so we're gonna be talking about our top moments of all time. I was going back through my list uh, today before we came here, and I feel like you and I may have interpreted this differently. Uh-oh. I think your list is gonna be moments from games, whereas mine are moments about me that involve Zelda. Oh, okay, yeah, mine- But that's fun, I think it's good. That's fun this way. Yeah. So my, my, mine are moments from games. How okay. did you know that I was gonna interpret it? Because I know you. Oh. <laughs> I was like, hold on. This is not what she's going to do. Oh. Hey. Well, okay. Well, that's fine. Well, that's, that's, that's a good, um, some differences that we can share. Point counterpoint, story, yes. Stories, yes. <clears throat> well, why don't you go first? All right. So my first is just my first time seeing and playing a Zelda game. Right. So I think I've told this, you know, generally before, but when I was in elementary school, there was um, a friend that I had who I would go to his house after school on certain days because my mom was working late and couldn't pick me up. And at this point, I did not have an NES. And his house was one of my first exposures to the NES. And it was mm. just this incredible, I love going because I was like, wow, I get to 
this thing I want, he has it. He had an incredible library of games. I don't know if this guy must have been loaded or something. Maybe his parents were like huge gamers. He, I don't think so. No, he okay, had, interesting. He had, he was a subscriber to Nintendo Power, so he had all these issues so of Nintendo Power that huge... I was just like, pour through. Okay. Yeah. This and person's house sounds great, by the way. It was nice. Like, it, that's, it was, like a, that's like a good friend that you want to make. It was fun. It was like, great. Mm -hmm. I'm, school's over. I'm going over to his house for like an hour, wait for my mom, get some Capri Suns. Oh, a little orange slices <laughs> yeah, some, going. Some cheese and crackers or something. <laughs> this is great. And I remember, you know, I was just put in, I was like, oh, well, this cartridge is gold. First yes, of all. Yes, like, that's wow. right. So th at this point, Zelda 1 and 2 were out. So I was like, wow, why are these cartridges gold? This must be really a special, special thing. Yeah. And I remember playing those games, and I was like, wow, this is so different from everything else that I had seen on the NES up to that point, which honestly, you know, being honest, was not a lot. Because before then it was, you know, Mario or other games that were more sort of platformy in feel. And here you go, mm -hmm. top down. It's about an adventure, about solving mysteries with some action spread in too. So I just thought, wow, I've never really seen or experienced a game like this. And if you get, you know, sucked in with the music and all of that, and that's where I had my scary experiences for the first time. Oh, you had it at your friend's house? Well, they continued once I got those games, but I continued. Were you scared with your friend? Was started, your friend scared? Well, sometimes he would, like, step out to, like, go do something, and I would be there by myself. And I remember it would be... Was he the same age as you? Yes. Okay. And I remember sometimes, you know, when the sun starts to set early, like the fall and yeah, the winter. Yeah, yeah. It would get dark in it that is. room. So it would go from like daytime to nighttime. And oh. So again, I would be playing this dungeon while the sun's going down and, and I didn't think to turn and on a light. And sometimes you were alone. And I would get scared playing these dungeons. Or I would get the scary game over screen on oh, Zelda 2. No. Do you still talk to this person? No. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, I wish we could this find This was a long him. time ago. I've lost touch with could them. Find him. That'd be so yeah. cool. Uh, if you're listening or watching this, please drop me a line. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so, that would be amazing. <laughs> but yeah, that was my first, I, I very vividly remember my first time seeing him playing oh Zelda games. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Like that you had that scary experience, not even alone with your own I know. game and console. It's like yeah. somebody else's house. In a strange house. house. Yeah. And that's like, it's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. You know, if you're like, at, like I always try to be like tough in front of my friends. Mm. Like. No, I can't be like, I can't. And we'll watch like scary movies and you're like, oh, I'm not scared, but you're like terrified. Oh, yeah. I watched Chucky with my friends and I was so <laughs> scared. But yeah, I tried I tried to put on a brave face, you know? Good for you. Anyways, um, well, that's a great moment. Um, as you said, mine are in-game Zelda moments. So do a little, little transition from your real life mm -hmm. moments to my in-game moments. But my first one is um, that reveal in Ocarina of Time where Zelda was actually Sheik. Oh, yes. That like blew my mind. As that was a legitimate surprise. A first yeah. first time playing. And again, Ocarina of Time was my first sort of Zelda game that I played by myself, like all the way through. Yeah. Um, obviously I had played other NES Zelda games before with friends or, or watched somebody play or watched pieces of it, but I never really had like the start to finish Zelda experience until Ocarina of Time, and that moment was just, I did not see that coming, like, at all. Like, I could not wrap my little child brain right. around how, you know, this princess was also this, like, ninja, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool, um, clever way of developing the character, and I was really just, like, impressed with how, you know, after playing a lot of Mario games, where Princess Peach, we talked about a lot, is just sort of a prop, where... Yeah. Then you transition to a Zelda game, and you're like, oh, like Princess Zelda, you know, 
could have been a prop too, but, and certainly in some of the early games may, may have been, but like they really took the series in this other direction, making Zelda into like a very like action oriented character and something, someone that's very important to the story and, and very much like, you know, she's also fighting for her kingdom and stuff like that. So yeah, I was just thought that that was sort of a really cool way to introduce this other side of Zelda, and then you can see it continuing yeah. through, through totally, the series totally. as well. My next is also Ocarina of Time based. Oh. So when that game came out and I was in school, strangely that became a game that like everybody in the school was playing. It was, <laughs> yeah. Which I don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly why. It wasn't the game that I would have picked to draw everybody into games, but it was. And, you know, I certainly had my group of friends who all had a Nintendo 64 and were all playing games daily and all the time and we would talk about it. But there were a lot of people who I, I didn't look at as people who played games who were. The, the quote jocks were playing oh, Ocarina yeah. of Time. Everybody well, was. And this became like such a hot topic of discussion um, at recess and, and just around school. It's like, well, who's going to beat this game first? Oh. And I thought, you know what? I can't let these these fake gamers oh. outdo me. So I'm going to be the first person did you do it? in the group to beat Ocarina of Time. I did. Really? I was the first one, yes. Did you look at a guide? I'm trying to think of... Actually, that game wasn't that hard, Dungeon Well, Wise, this was right? also 1996, so it's like, what... Do they have Nintendo Power? What guide? Like, strategy guide? Well, this was right when the game came out. I don't know. I remember just... Just hustling my way through that game, oh. and eh, what you know? What did it get me? What credit did it get me? Nothing. But oh, you mean people weren't knocking down your door? No, to, no, to I wasn't. Have you be like the Ocarina of Time guru no, or something? I wasn't. But oh. uh, that was a very <laughs> memorable moment of that game. I, I, I still don't remember in my whole time of school of people being that into an individual yeah. game all yeah. the time. And again, I don't know why that was the game. It's a great game, but. If you were not into games, I don't know what it was about it that would have sucked you in. Yeah. But that's what happened. I wonder if there's something else going around, going on around that time that made the story or the characters very interesting. I don't. I can't. I can't recall what was happening around the time Ocarina yeah. of, of Time launched, but I, I do remember that too. Like it was a very hot topic of conversation around school, and that, that's how we used to get all of our info. Like there was no social media back then, right. so you just. Right. It would be like schoolyard chit chat. That would be totally. like the way that you get your next game recommendation, right? And what your friends are playing mm -hmm. and stuff. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like what happened with Animal Crossing during the pandemic, yeah. where like people that you never thought in a million right. years, like Danny Trejo, <laughs> 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 um, chugging Kool Aid on a skateboard, is yeah. playing Animal Crossing. You know, it's like okay, this is some this is something to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my second uh, moment. And this is both, I like the in-game moment a lot, but I also have a little bit of a personal piece of this too, is just like that beginning stretch of Skyward Sword, where you really like get a sense of all these different characters, not just Link and Zelda, because we talk about their relationship in that game all the time, and it's, it's you know, really amazing to see that, but also like Groose and his little gain of, you know, like quote-unquote bullies or yeah. whatever, and... You know, even like um, Zelda's dad and, and you, you get to meet Fi and like there's a lot of like sort of almost like movie-esque, um, you know, 
stuff that happens in at the beginning tutorials. of Star Wars. Tutorials. <laughs> tutorial. Cinematic tutorials. Cinematic tutorials. Beautiful music, though, so it's okay. But I feel like Skyward Sword was also sort of the game that I felt like we really started to work on deeply for Zelda. Mm. Like, we, I, I started at Nintendo, like, weeks before Phantom Hourglass came out. Like, I remember, like, um, seeing, you know, the marketing for that, but... I was like, it was like a little bit too late to do anything. Yeah. Um, and then what game came out after? I can't even remember, but. Spirit Tracks. Spirit Tracks. You worked right. on Spirit Tracks. I made a train whistle, so that was <laughs> a thing. Um, but I, I I don't feel like I, and it, uh, probably because my job had also changed around that time where I was doing more than yeah. just like so, sort of smaller marketing things. But I really felt like Skyward Sword was the game where I felt like started my Zelda marketing yeah, um, career that's true. Path. It really did. And then from then on, you and I basically worked on All every Zelda yeah. game. Um, and yeah, so I have very fond memories of working on Skyward Sword. I, I remember working very, very closely with some of the writers in our um, localization team. Right. Um, and just like really getting a sense of like what it means to like launch a game to and especially a game with such a heavy storyline like what does it mean to localize a game what does that look like i was learning so much about like that process and it was all from launching this game and then we did so many cool things we talked about some of those in our treasures mm -hmm. video and, and and getting a chance to work closely with developers for the first time so i really remember that kind of skywards for being like the kickoff of working on like Zelda games in a in a very deep way at Nintendo. So I always remember like that story being something that really stuck with me and then like that kind of um moment in my my career really sticking with me as yeah. well. Yeah. Well I have two more. I always get a I always get an extra one just in case we have doubles. Um <laughs> I have two more too. The, okay. the third <laughs> one short. I I don't think I've talked about this before. So it was the announcement of Ocarina of Time 3D. Oh yes. Which was the year that we um announced the 3DS. Yes, yes. At E3, we had a very unusual way of revealing that game. So, it was not in the press conference that right. we did that morning. But we used to do this event called the Developer Roundtable. I remember that. Yeah. Which would happen Tuesday night. Tuesday was the first day. So, Tuesday was a crazy long day for us because you get up at like 6 a.m., get ready to do this press conference at 9 a.m., do a whole day at the booth, all the debriefs, the reports, right. the meetings. And then when the E3 actually ended at like five or six, we would have this developer roundtable. Right, right. That you were always in charge that of. That I was in charge of for several years. Right. So we had this fun idea, or the team in Japan had this idea, was we're, we want to announce Ocarina of Time 3D in that event mm -hmm. and we want to make that a major talking point for the people who come and it'll give us sort of an additional little bump. Talk, talking yeah. point at the end of the day like wow look at all these great things that nintendo had on the first day of mm -hmm. e3 we think about that a lot yeah how to you know spread news around and spread things to talk about around so we had placed around it was and it was in the los angeles convention center they have sort of a an auditorium yeah it's a very it's a very intimate auditorium it's not a huge space maybe two or three hundred i was people. gonna say just a couple hundred yeah and we would have media from all over the world come right so 
what we did is we placed the, the game stations all around that room. Mm -hmm. So as they came in, they would see this, like, oh my gosh, what is this? And they would yeah. have a plan immediately to play the game. Right, that's Nintendo's favorite thing yeah. to do is like, hear about a game, play it immediately. So the, the short time between when you hear about what makes a game cool and you experiencing what makes it cool right. is like very critical. Mm -hmm. So that was a perfect example of, of that. Yeah, so. We had, you know, after that, we had Mr. Miyamoto there, and mm -hmm. the developers were talking about the game. So sometimes we can, you know, talk about how sometimes Nintendo can be a little bit hokey about this, like, surprise and delight stuff. But yeah. this was truly, was like, truly a we, actually, we actually did it, and that was yeah. a huge surprise. And people were surprised and delighted. <laughs> and talk about a major game to just drop out of nowhere at the end yeah. of the day. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a huge, I remember a huge, like, just surprise, and people were so happy and, right. and joyful from seeing that. Yeah. So. That was a really strong E3 overall in, in my in my list the of all same the same E3 where they had all the the people that were like the human interactions so called yes holding up those 3DSs right right yeah, like, yeah. I would put that of like what were the best E3s that and Nintendo that had great trailer too well you were there I'd put that yeah. really high yeah I I feel like from a like a spectacle point of view later yeah. on the 3DS did not do very well I know. but from a spectacle point of view problems later that was like. Yeah, like you, you really came out the gate like strong, right, you know. Right. So, um, I guess I can combine my last two moments since I also had an extra one. Okay. Uh, nothing like super, you know, special or um, not a big story thing or whatever. But just like Zelda is a game for me that is so good at like giving you the the goosebump feelings, you know, like. Everyone talks about that first moment that they um, were playing Breath of the Wild and you like sort of come out of the Shrine Resurrection and yeah. you see Hyrule, you know, stretched out before you and the music and the, the way the camera pans, the way the light moves, like it just, I don't know, there's something that they, they do very well where they just capture you, your heart in those moments. So that's that kind of moment that that team, the development team for Zelda games is able to do over and over again. It's just like very impressive. Yeah. And another one of those moments for me is like their first time just riding Epona through Hyrule Field in Ocarina of Time. Mm. It's like, you're not doing anything, you know? You're just like riding through this grassy field, but like there's something, there's a mood that this team is able to create for these games that's very unique and almost like, I don't know if there's any other games that really captures that mood, you know? I can't really name any at all, actually. Yeah. Um, so it's really special. I think it's hard to like describe exactly what it is, but there are so many moments like that for me in Zelda games, you know, exploring the Great Sea for the first time. Like they do such a great job of just like really get capturing you into this world and I can't wait to see what happens in Tears of the Kingdom. We don't know. I think that we're we going to be in the mood like so fast. I, I feel yeah. like we're just going to be like snap locked right. in, you know? So it just, it makes me so excited for, for what's coming. Well, that's an excellent segue into our Patreon poll, which we're oh. going to be talking about next. Yeah. So we asked our Patreon subscribers, it's not even a poll, it's just a question. It's just a question, yeah. What is the first thing you're going to do once you start playing Tears of the Kingdom? Ooh. And we got some great responses, some great ideas, honestly. Okay. So I'm excited to I share this. Um, these first two kind of go hand in hand. James says, I honestly don't know, and that excites me a whole lot. And Captain Cinnamon Bun says, wander without a goal in mind and see where my curiosity takes me. Yeah. That's a perfect That's a great way mindset to, yeah, to be in. It really is. Uh, 
We got to hear from Link himself. Link obviously. the Hero Wind says, I think it would be fun to retrace my steps oh. from the original game to see what's changed. So I'll probably be headed to Kakariko first while exploring whatever I can on the way. Oh, that's I think that's a great idea. What a fun way to, uh, you know, to kind of get yourself into a sequel is to see like from the original what's different or what's the same. That's that's a great idea. Yeah, we did that in our in our Goodbye Breath of the Wild video, walking um, from the Shrine of Resurrection down where you see the quote old man yes. and uh, into the Great Plateau. Like I, I definitely want to do that. Yeah, so that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, for sure. Tay120N64 says, when I first played Breath of the Wild at E3 in 2016, the only thing I wanted to do was climb. Oh. The employees running the demo <laughs> asked if I wanted any tips on what to do or where to go for the, for, for the 20 minutes I had, but all I wanted to do was see if I could climb to the top of the Temple of Time. Even after 200 hours logged into the main game, my favorite thing to do is climb. Once I got the climbing gear, I only ever took it off in dire situations. So I think when I visit this new Hyrule, I'm going to survey the landscape, find an interesting structure, and climb it. I love it. Maybe you can climb all the way up to the sky this time. Like a Jack and the Beanstalk situation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do it. Do it. See if it's possible. Adeline LeBourne says, if I know myself, I'm going to cry. Aww. Then as the nerd I am, I'll check out the menus and inventory. Then if it makes sense with the way the game is played, uncover as much of the map as possible. Aw, that's sweet. Switching it up on underscore says, well, once my tears have stopped flowing, I get very emotional on these releases. It will be months of buildup being released. I just want to take it all in. I like to explore every nook and cranny and play around with the new abilities before jumping off those new sky islands. <laughs> Gotta get my tissues ready. Oh, get your hanky. <laughs> get your hanky. Will oh, you have goodness. tissues ready? Probably. Okay, good. And finally, Kyle LaBeouf says, one of my favorite moments in gaming was stepping out onto the Great Plateau for the first time in Breath of the Wild. Yes. The view, the score, the camera panning around Link, everything was perfect. I'm hoping that Tears of the Kingdom will give us an equally grand moment to kick off our adventure. Give me a wide-angle view of the sky with a camera panning around Link and a bombastic, bombastic score. I want to soak in that moment and relive that level of excitement. Yes, wow. I love that. I wonder where Link is going to start this time. That's the thing. We don't know. I don't know. I want to know. It's not going to be the Shrine of Resurrection because he's already been resurrected. Because right. with the last game, like that was the whole like things people were seeing for a lot for months. Was like, yeah. all right, we're on the Great Plateau. Here's where the game begins. Yeah, we knew that. We don't, we don't know that. Know. We don't know that at all. But he has to be asleep and he has to be woken up, obviously. But by who and where and what and how, we don't know. When he opens his eyes, what will he see? I don't know. Want to know? Do not, leave, do not leave a comment with a spoiler, please. Oh my God, seriously. Do not. I won't be reading any do comments Do not leave a comment on. with a spoiler. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, oh my so I got excited reading these responses. So great. These are great, yes, exactly, great ideas. And also some great responses that really match like kind of what I'm thinking as well, yeah. you know, so can't wait. And then finally, uh, as we are recording this, we do not know when the reviews for the game are going Wednesday. to hit. You think Wednesday? Yeah. I think Thursday. Oh. But I don't know. I think it's Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. It seems like That's people, I, I mean, people would not have gotten <laughs> this game before the previews because then there would have been no reason to go to that preview event, which, and that was not that long ago. The preview event was two weeks ago though. Right. That would have been enough for, they must have gotten that game like immediately after it's the previews. It's a long game. Anyhow, we're splitting hairs here. We need to revisit, we gotta put this, we gotta put this back out there That's so that right. we can see how we did. Our Metacritic predictions, we yes. did this earlier in the year in our big Metacritic predictions yes. episode. Yes, yes, yes. My Metacritic prediction for this game was a 92. 
Mine was a whopping 95. Do you remember, what was Breath of the Wild's score again? 97. Holy moly. Well, I mean, it's one of the best scores ever. Oof. It's up there with like Ocarina of Time and like yeah. The Last of Us is okay, up there. Okay. All right, that's Elden yeah. Ring. I, I definitely, ooh, I, I don't know. Now I'm like you. You can get. You can I revise can it. Revise it now if you need to. Really? Well, there'll be an, a big asterisk next to it, but no, it, I'm not going to. I'm gonna stick with it. Although I feel like I might have. I might be low now. Low. Could be 96 or 97. Maybe oh. they'll, they'll, they'll both Higher? score. Just a perfect 100. 100. Just a perfect 100. Has any game ever gotten no. a 100? No. Because some, somebody would, be, would want to be, I'm the contrarian. Let me tell you why this Who thing sucks. Who is he? Or she? Or they? <laughs> there was somebody, this is a small tangent, in when I was starting out in PR, I don't know where this person is now. There was a freelancer who that was kind of their whole shtick was... Let me tell you about why the games that you think are great actually suck. Oh. And but but they were not that they didn't have like a column where this was the, they, like they would just get brought in to review games. But everything was like, like a freelance person? Yes. That's weird. I think they reviewed mostly PC games. Um hmm. but it was like, wow, this is an interesting way to do you think to do stuff. Like being that sort of critical all the time, that must be very um tiring. Don't you think? I would think so. To like dislike. This is so my, this many is my things. job. I hate I hate everything that comes. My in job my path. is to be like this this person to find right. the negativity. Right. I would feel like that would be exhausting. Yeah. So yeah. much harder to be mad than it is to be happy. You it know? Is. It is. <sighs> anyway. So we do want to get into our big topic here. Right. Of what comes next for Nintendo mm -hmm. after Tears of the Kingdom, because as we said. The focus internally turns very quickly. Yeah. Obviously, it's like, yeah, how's the game selling? Is there anything immediately that we need to do? Yeah, yeah. But people start to say, like, well, what's next? How do we get ready? The rest of the year is ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Nintendo what is now? also notoriously a very forward-looking company. Yeah. And we've experienced this a lot. Like, I always felt like it was a little bit, you know, unfortunate that you launched this huge game that would, you know, get a great Metacritic score, that would sell a lot and you never really got a chance to celebrate right the celebration was like one hour and then it's like the next meeting was like okay now yeah, now, we're gotta, moving on. now we're moving on to like all the the 20 other things that's on your to-do list yeah, and you need to prove yourself again you're in the hole you're in the hole again yeah, you, i don't care what you just yeah, did yeah you never get like <gasps> any sort of sort of moment to yeah. just take a deep breath and right. and celebrate you know the, the win which is kind of which was hard to do over and over in that cycle um so yeah i hope that the team gets a moment to yeah celebrate. like there's, there's a meeting <laughs> on monday mornings where they go through the sales numbers for that weekend and they'll just rattle everything off so yeah. like, tier of the kingdom sold a million copies advanced well, wars, well done blah, blah, by the blah. way advanced wars 50 percent under forecast what's the deal with that yeah <laughs> it was just like boom 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 yeah, boom you you never get a, mo <sighs> a moment to breathe really yeah. it's it's kind of unfortunate um but you know, there's there's going to be a lot of discussion. I think um, during those Monday morning meetings and, and meetings throughout the the week weeks after launch about how to keep the momentum going. That is right. a favorite right. term. Um, so the team is going to have to deal with a lot of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. instead of taking a moment to celebrate. They'll have to think about more marketing things yeah. to do or more things to do, and then. I think there's going to be DLC coming for this game, obviously. Yes. So there's going to be a lot of work there as well. So. so I thought a good way to prep for this was to just write down 
all of the confirmed release dates mm, okay. for upcoming big Switch games, and most, mostly first-party Switch games, there's only one game that has a date. Yeah, Pikmin. Which I was really surprised at. So Pikmin 4, July 21st. Yeah. That's it! The only first-party yeah, game yeah. that has a release date. So yeah. Metroid Prime 4 remains in TBD. Just some other big games that I could like think of, like third-party, like Professor Layton, there's that mm -hmm. new game, that's TBD. Dragon Quest 12. That that game doesn't even have a platform confirmed. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, that game could still be years away. I could be completely off by even listing this here. Right, yeah. But it could not matter at all. <laughs> the point is that there's not a lot of games of, of noteworthy big, big, big games that can mm -hmm. kind of carry, you know, the rest of the year. Right. Certainly there's a lot of games still coming out. But that lineup and that schedule is wide open. Right. And they have yet to announce um, you know, what is coming this holiday. Some of those big holiday releases are still a huge question mark. Yeah. So this morning, Jeff Grubb got out and was um, sharing what he had mm. been hearing, which was that as of now, what he's heard is that there is not a Nintendo Direct for Nintendo coming in that usual E3 yeah. time frame. I can see that. Which, on one hand, it's like, yeah, they're they're unshackled from E3. They've known for a long enough time that they weren't going to do that, that they didn't need to worry about putting this show together. But on the same hand, there was a lot of stuff that would happen in the summer that was in service of promoting the holiday lineup. Exactly. So, like... You know, you have E3, and then that flows right into Comic-Con, which flows into PAX. And you have all these, these you know, demos that you're showing off and games that you're talking about beat after beat. There's like a press, there's a big press tour that happens in the mm -hmm. summer yep. in a lot of different cities where, hey, hey, kind of mainstream media. On you announcing right. what games you have upcoming for the rest of the year. Right. Like, there are still, like, super long lead print publications that Nintendo wants to be in. Yeah. Where, like, if you don't talk to them about this in July... You're not going to get in it. That's right. We used to have press tours in the summertime specifically for that reason. And it was based on the fact that you announced all your your, your uh, holiday or the titles of the rest of the year in June. And you have playable demos from E3 yeah. in June. Exactly. Now that that has fallen away, like, you know, what does that mean for, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the sort of the announcement calendar and, and also what does it mean for the holiday schedule? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that that invalidates what Jeff Grubb is saying. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I do think what happens with a, a, you know, a June or that June time frame will kind of indicate like what the Switch has left in it. Because yeah. if they don't have anything then and they're just kind of letting all this time pass without having a clear holiday schedule, there might be less in the little, tank than we think. Yeah, it starts to get a little tricky once you get past like August, you know? Yeah, because, you know, the industry really does look like... Madden coming out is the start of the holiday season. And like Madden <laughs> yes. comes out like the end of August, and then it's like, right. yeah, this we yeah. got that big. Get the heavy hitters out. Get ready for the holidays. It's like September. We call it Shocktober for a reason. <laughs> September and then Shocktober is like your only two months of like heavy, heavy holiday time marketing right. and releases. And anything really November and beyond starts to feel like not really going to make a difference for you sales-wise in the holiday schedule. So right, right. And, and you always want that. to have a game coming out all of those months to, right. to capitalize um, on the holiday opportunity. Exactly. And so, the other thing that we talked about a lot um, that is not even anywhere on this list at all is like Nintendo is still sort of missing that like big mainstream 
holiday game. That's like this for is your, the, your Mario game. Mario the movie, the game. Where are you? Um, because they do need something for like the family yeah. and for like the little boy to like unbox on Christmas morning to play with his, you know, his like family and stuff like that. Like you, Nintendo, they want that like mass appeal, that like sort of expanded audience. Um, Tears of the Kingdom is not going to be that for them. It's going to be more of like, you know, the the core gamers that we used to call it and like the existing Switch audience. But in terms of like expanding it for the holidays, they don't have anything right now on this list. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's there. Well, to that point, those are games. Like if it is a truly like expanded audience, more casual game, you can announce and put that out pretty quick. You can, but you also don't want to wait too long because right. you do have like your existing like people that are paying attention that you want to cap capture too, you know? But if that, if, again, the point counterpoint to that is if that is your big thing for the holidays, that would, you would not want that anchoring a Nintendo Direct, this big casual no. game. No, no. Yeah. Unless it's a Mario game that everybody can. Big Brain Academy. Everybody can enjoy a Mario sequel. game. Yes. Mario you're Brain. really, you're Mario really holding Brain. on tight to the Mario game. Mario game, where are you? <laughs> it would be such a huge miss. Like, can they really do this? Where they have a uh, year of amazing Mario expanded audience stuff, like a movie and a theme park and not have a game? Are you kidding me? That's dumb. We also have in September Nintendo Live. We have some updates yes. in our news section where we'll talk about that. But that is something where, you know, you're gonna have a lot of fans there. Like. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can you can do things around the games that are already out. They've talked yeah. about having tournaments for games that are already out, but it would be nice to have something fresh. They want to get people excited. I don't think it's going to be at Nintendo Live at all, at all. Um, I kind of feel like what they're going to do is some kind of like drip feed, Twitter drops, Twitter drops, yeah. Yeah. Over the summer, like they did last year. I think that makes sense. Could potentially have an indie showcase in the summer. Sure. And sort of have like a non-direct that way, but have some mm -hmm. sort of announcement for smaller games. Yeah. It could even be a third-party showcase, but nothing first-party in terms of a direct. They'll do Nintendo Live, which which will be a, a fan, like, photo oppy, play the existing games, here's another Splatoon tournament kind of thing. And then maybe... Not that t same time because they, they have Nintendo Live the first through the fourth. They might do a direct like in September, but not at the same time. Like that week B of the before 10th. or later. 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 Week of the tenth. Okay. Whatever week is after Nintendo Live. That's what I think. Okay. Put that in the potentially being right. Yeah. Yeah. Box there. I don't know. But that, that's that's my feeling. Yeah. I mean, either way, again, if if there's not the June direct, it does feel like we're in the you know, how can we buy time on the schedule? Oh, how yeah. can we still keep people playing? So. Absolutely. It's going to be like the sustain interest. Right. Which is hard to do and annoying. So get ready for that. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, but it also, I mean, they may be well positioned for this because they may have just games that are done that are just sitting and ready for, an, uh, for a rainy day like this. Like a, a Wind Waker HD, for example. For I mean that's that's a big enough game that's like yeah we could we could even put that out you know in like December or something if we needed something for the holidays I don't know who knows sure clear that you know there's a lot of unanswered questions um, that I'm sure they're thinking about I do also go back to remember when Nintendo pulled out 
of E3, mm-hmm. one of the talking points, and I was I was skeptical of this at the time, was like they didn't have the lineup to support a proper E3 booth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, might might have been the case. Maybe there's maybe there's more to that than we thought. Yeah, you are getting to the end of the Switch life cycle, mm-hmm. for sure. Like no matter how you slice it, you know, we're getting close to the end. They can probably they probably have obviously this whole year. Yeah. But we're getting to the point where people are probably thinking like, well, that this next big thing. Switch to announcement when? On a Link t-shirt. Stop beating around the bush. It's going to be on Link's t-shirt in Tears of the Kingdom, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we see that this year though? No. Nah. I still think that's an early next year early next sort year. of thing. They, they squeeze what they can out of it for this year. They're going to want to do it before March, the end of March next year because it's the fiscal year end. And if they're going to make a splash with their shareholders and and have some sort of sake celebration, it's going to be announced then. Yeah. Yeah. That's what but I let's, so, so let's, last time the Switch was announced in October and announced in March, that's so five months. Mm-hmm. So that means as soon as you have this thing out is May. If we have a dry schedule starting now, that's a, that's kind of a long time to go with like little drips and drops. Third party, where you at? Where you at, third party? This is where our third party team is working real hard. More Splatoon the, tournament, more Splatfests. Three P team <laughs> working really hard. Weekly Splatfests. Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> we still have the, the Splatoon DLC coming in yeah, July. Yeah, that, that's a thing. Does it have a confirmed date? I thought it was July. I don't remember. Yeah. That, summer. I that was that, summer. it was not on the list summer. that I was I was looking at. Because you just don't. I'm care. sure I'm sure there's something I you don't care. No, I do want I want to play the single <laughs> player. The single player too. looks good. I will play. It that. looks good. Yeah. 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 They might they might have some some stuff like that. Some little things. Ooh. Interesting times. It's interesting. Here. I mean, this is we talk about this. This is why we said two weeks ago that th- that was the peak. The peak is happening. The peak but, is happening. But, but things can drop off quickly. Right, and the thing is, is like, you know, the the hardest time is right now, is the transition time. Like you have this big game coming out that will sustain people for you know three to six months-ish. This game might have a long tail, which is great for Nintendo, um, but at some point, people are gonna want other games to play, right? Yeah. And, and that transition between Switch and Switch 2 or whatever, it, it's rocky and challenging. And if you don't have the right sort of team and, and plan in place to like really be able to smoothly transition, it, it can be really, it can be jarring and, and really hard for, for everyone, for people internally, obviously, but also for us who are consumers and fans, we might be feeling some of that transition and it, it could feel a little, a little rough, you know. I keep going back to something that was said in that Atari 50 game slash documentary that I loved and I recommend, which was, you know, Atari had a great system in the 2600, but it all fell apart after that. And in the interviews, they were like, yeah. Like, we, what happened? We were not prepared for a console transition. We really didn't know what to do. And, yes. And, and, like, it kind of destroyed our company. Yeah. And it really has not gotten any easier No, we've been through then. so many console transitions. They're all painful and hard. They're, even when they're good, they're painful right. and hard. Right, right. Even when we went from Wii U to Switch, it was painful and hard. Yeah, so... And that was a good thing. We were happy about that. We wanted to, we wanted to do it. Right. You know, everyone wanted to do it. We were like, finally, we're like, yes, we can. We have a console that actually is actually good. But it doesn't make it any harder. I'm sorry, easier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, regardless, we're, we're going to be in for that, feeling that transition... 
Um, so we should all just be prepared. And that's what we were saying like months ago. Like, let's not be so quick to like wanting a switch too, because yeah. that that period is going to be tough for all of yeah. us. And we should just really enjoy the peak of Nintendo right now. It literally is happening right now. So we really should. We, they can't celebrate because they're working on the next thing. We get to celebrate. They're not allowed. They're, not allowed. they're working <laughs> on the next the, the DLC campaign <laughs> and, and uh, panicking over sales numbers. Why did but, you sell 10 million and not 20 million? This is where they move the forecast. You loser. They yeah. love moving they're the forecast. It's like, that. oh, yeah. we you beat the forecast? Well, that was actually not the real forecast. This is the real <laughs> forecast, and you actually didn't beat it, so you failed. Yeah. Um, I just changed it five minutes ago. You failed. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh, but it's a little painful, yeah. really. Um, that was the forecast. This is the goal, and, and then, you missed it. And then it's what's like, the difference? And then you get you get to the goal like a week later. And you're like, oh, I got to the goal. Oh, you got to the goal, yeah. but you didn't reach the stretch goal. <laughs> the, stretch goal. <laughs> the stretch goal for Smash moved like seven times. Yeah, I was like, can we please? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. Oh my gosh. But um, yeah, let's all let's collectively though, as fans and, and as you know. Yeah, we don't need to worry about we this. We don't need to worry about we it. Can we, enjoy, enjoy the moment enjoy. right now. Yes, enjoy, enjoy this moment. the high of playing this wonderful new game and, and us playing it all together. It's going to be so yes. much fun. Can't wait to just see like everyone, what everyone gets up to in Tears of the Kingdom. And it's going to be so great. Let's enjoy the Switch, whatever life it has left. Let's enjoy it all together. I think yes. that's, that's, that's the way to look at it, you know? Talk about some games we're playing. We got some new stuff. We got some old stuff. You got some super old stuff. We got your <laughs> final Resident Evil 4 updates, but honestly, who cares? I put that at the very end. Oh. Keep it quick. Oh. Let's start with something uh, fresh. Capcom sent me some codes for the Mega Man. Oh. It's a mouthful. Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. Oh, yeah. You're a huge Mega Man fan. This is perfect for you. Well, I, I think I should clarify. Like, I could. I'm a mega fan of some Mega Man games. It's not a comprehensive. That's true. I'm not, I'm not You're a comprehensive really like fan. a classic Mega Man. Even fan. that, like I fell off pretty fast after like Mega Man Five. Okay. It was like this is too much of the same thing. Mega Man Two. And these are favorite. not two and three are my favorites. Yeah, two and three, three, three. You talk about and play. Yeah. A lot. Mega Man X, I really like. After that, it's, oh, yeah. it started Mega to get Man's a little good. dicey. So kind of short burst of Mega Man love. Okay. But I did play Mega Man Battle Network on the Game Boy Advance when it first, I can't remember if it was the first or the second one. I think it was the first one. And they made six of these games. So this was a lot more than I thought. This was kind of the same thing where it was like, oh, this is fun, this is new, this is cool. And then they just kept putting them out yearly. I was like, this is too much. So Mm. I fell off on it pretty hard, but it has been fun to go back to this game in particular. And I'm, it's bringing back a lot more memories than I thought I had for it. Oh, okay. And I really like it. So this so game... So on Switch, right? This is on Switch, yes. Okay. I, don't, I actually don't know what other platforms it's on. I imagine, okay. I imagine it's on some other platforms. But this is a very different... If, you're, if you don't know what the series is, this is a very different from the traditional side-scrolling Mega Man. This, this was during... They were clearly trying to get something in the ilk of Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that RPG kind of vibe. This is more of an RPG. You're not playing as Mega Man. You play as this guy named Lan, who has a little, like, 
cyber friend named Mega Man who mm -hmm. he jacks into the internet. So this game came out in like 2000. Is it a LAN cable? Is that the joke? Yeah, so this game came oh out in like God. 2001, 2002. So it's that very like Y2K perspective on the internet. Oh, that's so weird. Which is very different from fascinating, how we isn't it? look at things now. There's a lot of like, oh, jacking in and my... They, there are some things about the internet that they did accurately predict, but there are some things that are just hilarious. Like in one of the stages, like the background is just these floating letter E's. Like, so now everything has an <laughs> I in front of it. Back then it was E. Like, That's oh, right. E machine, E yes, learning. Yes, it was like a lowercase, lowercase e, e and then like an uppercase everything else. Exactly. Just like how the, now the I is a lowercase I. Right. So I was oh, like, wow, this, this is man. such a product of the time of, and how we that, look at the that, internet. That era is always fat. Like, we did the Gizmondo stuff, yeah. a little tangent. But it's like, that's weird. Yeah. This is like that same kind of weird. Right. Where it's like, this really captures what we as humans mm -hmm. thought the what our future was going to look like. And some of it was like, maybe yes. And some of it was just like totally off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so bizarre. So you play as Lan in the RPG parts. You're running around town. He's like he's like a ten year old kid. He goes to school. He hangs out at home with his mom. Cute, like typical like Pokemon yeah. town stuff. Sure. And then you go into these dungeons, which are in quote cyberspace, the information superhighway, where you're playing as Mega Man, and you can get into random battles. And the battle system is really good in this game. So there's a grid. And it's kind of like broken into two sides. So you're on one side, the enemies are on one side, and it's like three by three grid. And you can move around freely in that grid. Okay. So it's not like, you know, another RPG where you're just standing still. Right. And you're just like choosing attack, attack. It's kind of interesting because it makes it feel like a bit more dynamic. So it is a bit more like dynamic to it. <clears throat> and you, every turn, you get given these, um, they're called chips, but they're basically the moves that you have. So you get oh, five yeah. chips every turn. Okay. And you can choose which of those to do. And then, you know, sometimes they're like different kinds of shots you can do. Some of them alter the field. Like you can break one of the squares on the enemy's side. That's interesting. You can get health back. And there's different ways that you can group those chips together that will allow you to choose like so I, like i might be able to do like three chips in one turn if i get if i get a good deal on those versus only being able to do one okay so there is a deck building part of assembling yeah. your chips in a really fun way and, you're, and there's a lot of those chips um and i don't know any other games that have a battle system like this and it holds up really well so <laughs> i like this a lot the dungeons there's a lot of random encounters. Oh. This That's like your This collection though thing. does have turn off something where you can you can't turn those off, but you can turn on like a superpower mode where just your normal shot, which you can do it's at like any one time. One shot kill. Basically, on all those little fodder enemies. Okay. So I've been doing a lot of that to get through these dungeons cuz it's like it can be kind of a slog. Also, some of those dungeons can be kind of hard to tell like where you're supposed to go. So it can be a little annoying if you're just getting <laughs> stopped for random right. fights all the time. So I've just had that on from time to time. And then, you know, for the bosses or the big fights, I turn it off and do it the normal way. But it's just got a really fun vibe to it. Like this series was, I think, a lot bigger than some people may realize. Like it was selling millions of copies. And I've seen a lot of people saying like, oh, this is like peak nostalgia for me from when I was hmm. 10 years old like it's a real good like 10 year old game yeah it's a super good 10 year old game it's it's just, people have to put, po probably feel that Pokemon you know totally it's like it hits that for you right. because you were like that age when you played it and you were like yeah. you felt like you were that character right right there's some other really nice you know just quality of life stuff that they've added 
um, into these. Again, there's six games. They're broken into two different packs, so you can buy one through three or three through six, or you can buy a bundle. I got the code so I didn't have to worry about that. I don't think I'm playing all six of these, um, but I've really enjoyed playing through it. And um, it's a series that I'm, I've, I've been watching a few YouTube videos on it just to get better informed about what happened after mm -hmm. those first couple, because again, I dropped off really hard. I'd love for them to bring this series back. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. They should. It sounds like really unique too. Like there's something that's, you know, really different about it than other RPGs. And yeah. so it would be great. And these characters are so memorable. Let's get something going with Mega Man. Come what on. What are they doing with Mega Let's Man go. besides these legacy things? They really should update it. It's a great character. I have also been playing a new game called Lunark. Oh, yeah. Thank you to WayForward for sending over a code for this. Very nice. So this is something, this is in a genre that I, this is a genre that I had never heard of called a cinematic platformer. Have you ever heard of that? No. It seems I, to be... A genre, two genres that are at odds with each other. I had to, do hey. some, I had, I had to read up a little bit on <laughs> this because they were like, oh, this is a new cinematic platformer. I'm like, what's an old I've cinematic never, platformer? So th what that means, though, is it's in this sort of original Prince of Persia mold. Oh, I love that. Not the new Prince of Persia where you're like rewinding time. And yeah. Where it's like 2D, you're making uh -huh. these long jumps, you're falling into spikes. Yeah. That kind of stuff. You're getting uh -huh. little sword battles. I like that. That one. I like that It's a, a great game. I really like that a lot. So I really want them to remake. Prince. I still don't know how that came the name for this genre, but basically what it means is it's a very like deliberate platformer where you have to put a bit more thought into your actions because there's like a lot of like animations baked into everything that you're doing. Uh -huh. So like when you're jumping, you might need to press jump like a tiny bit earlier than Ooh, you would in like a Mario hard. game because there's like a build up and it jumps. Okay. Um, so maybe the, the actions feel more like realistic to like how a person would actually jump Maybe. versus Mario yeah. that's like very cartoony and unrealistic. I didn't dislike it. It just took me like 10 minutes to wrap my head around how I needed to approach the action. Okay. Which was um, totally fine once I got the hang of it. And this is sort of a sci-fi game. Um, you go into space and um, there's platforming, there's puzzles to solve. You have some, some light combat. I'm admittedly still pretty early into this, but it seems really cool. And wow. again, there's not a lot of games that, that play like this. I don't, I don't know if it's for everybody. I don't know if it would click for everybody. Maybe yeah. maybe look at a YouTube video just to see. It sounds like it'd be a little bit hard. I think you'd get a feel for it, but it, it's definitely the sort of more deliberate yeah. movement oh, and motion into yeah. it. So that's been cool too, though. Man. Right, into the old stuff. I finished Final Fantasy IV. Finally. Excellent. Not finally, because it actually only took you like 12 hours. I said something wrong last episode. I said that at that time I was at 12 hours. I actually ended up beating this game in under 12 hours. Which is amazing. Which is crazy. I think like normally beating this game under 20 hours would be tough. And you can go a lot further than that depending on how much you want to grind or side stuff. I did a lot of side stuff, honestly, in this and again, this is a game I've played a million times, so I know kind of exactly what to do. But beating it in under 12 hours was... That's incredible. Crazy. So, I wish more games would give you, like more remasters of JRPGs or whatever would give you that option. Right. Because it would make, like, just replaying it or re-experiencing it so much easier for me, you know? Because I just don't right. have 500 hours. So the like, things I that I cut out... I mean, are things that are great to cut out if you if you don't like them. So grinding, I, I would 
periodically turn on that experience booster mm-hmm. and just get more experience that way instead of just running around in a circle and grinding. Okay, that's a great way to save time. And then into dungeons, again, random encounters can be annoying depending on the dungeon you're doing. I would just sometimes turn those off. But it wasn't a big deal because I was properly leveled. Mm-hmm. So I was still getting through it. So right. I mean, if you want to be a purist, like you can keep all that stuff on. But for me, I've played this game a million times. Love playing it this way. This game still holds up. This game is a perfect 10 in my this book. This is a perfect 10. I finished my three-hour documentary on this game. Wow. This game. And? So there was something in that that blew my mind. Tell me. The guy doing this documentary pointed out this movie from the late 80s that was a bomb pretty much everywhere, but was released in Japan and was kind of a cult classic in Japan called Baron Munchausen. Oh. And he just pointed out so many different things that could have very clearly been an inspiration for Final Fantasy IV. Are you going to watch Baron Munchausen? And I kind of want to. And the thing that totally blew my mind, after he had like five or six things, I was like, okay, you're kind of convincing me here. He had a side-by-side. Uma Thurman is in this movie. Uh Of a still of Uma Thurman from the movie and the portrait of Rosa in the character screen that were like almost the same. Whoa. We should watch this. Baron Munchausen. We're watching Baron Munchausen (laughs) on this channel. Watch along. (laughs) I love it. I've never heard of Baron I've Munchausen. I've never heard of it, but that sounds amazing. But the movie looks kind of cool, It actually. looks cool. It yeah. sounds cool. Right. So I just had the best time playing this game again. With Zelda coming out, I don't, I'm not going to have time to, to play any of these others, but there's, there's a few I'm going to save for when I have uh, a spare couple hours here and there. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm having, I'm having a great time with the Pixel Remaster. Yay! I'm so glad for you that you beat Final Fantasy IV. Yes. Your favorite game of one of your favorite games of all time, True. War Tears of the Kingdom King. All right, you have 30 seconds to update us on Resident Evil 4. No I'll more. I'll beat it. That's it. <laughs> Great, <I'll swim> <laughs> no, come on now. <laughs> I really was just like so like floored by how good this game was. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I think the game does a really great job of like, th- this is another like sort of Resident Evil thing that is done really well that other games, you know, just struggle to replicate where... You have the situation where you feel so hopeless, and then you're like, "This is this. I, there's no way I can do this. Like, I can't beat this mob of zombies. Like, there's just mm-hmm. no way." And then the game gives you something where you can totally do it, obviously, and then you feel like like triumphant and heroic and powerful. And I think this game, out of you know a lot of the Resident Evil games I've played before, does that feeling and does that sort of gives you that reward the best. And especially, you know, in the latter sort of part of this game when you're really getting close to the end and, and doing a lot of those big boss fights or, or big, you know, sort of big story moments where you need to get from A to B and there's this mob of <laughs> horrible enemies in your way. Like, they really do a great job of, of giving you that feeling. Like, there are so many moments where like, oh, Kid, this is gonna be so hard. And then you're like, no, I get a rocket launcher. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> and it feels so good. Um, but yes, I loved it. It was so good. It was so much fun. There were so many moments where I'm like, this is not in the original, but it definitely was, and I just forgot. It about. was. That's you, the that didn't happen to you too. That's happened to me a lot, yeah. Um, I also saw this hilarious tweet um this morning where there was like a picture from the coronation. <laughs> where he was holding like all of those royal scepters and stuff like that and someone was like this is worth 30 pesetas i was like oh my god <laughs> i died laughing why are there those 
like weird treasures around this world. The it's crown like, jewels. The crown jewels. You're like embedding the gems in them and stuff. It's so I, random. I but anyways. Oh, I, you mean in the game? Yeah. I thought you meant in real life. And in real life, oh. there's crown jewels. But um, in the game, you're just picking them out of chess and yeah. selling them for bullets and right. stuff, which is great. But I was I was laughing so hard. I was like, yeah, that's totally a Resident <laughs> Evil thing. Oh, boy. Good stuff. That's what we've been playing next week. We got a big, uh, probably nothing but Tears of the Kingdom what we've been playing. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. Makes sense. Yes, yes. Let's keep talking about Tears of the Kingdom in the news. The mm. leaks. Ooh, the leaks. We will, to be clear, we are not talking about in specific spoilers. I don't know. Leaked material. Yeah, I've, I've not read a you single. Have, you've been staying away from it. I, yeah, I don't want any. I've not. I've been, I've been looking. You have? Oh, sure. You, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's fine. I won't talk about it. So you saw some stuff. You can feel very safe that we will not spoil this here at all. I can't believe that you saw. You looked at them. Why? Oh my god! I, I just. I, oh, oh, dear yeah. me! Yeah, I'm bad I looked. <laughs> so where to begin with this? So there was a lot of people upset at Kotaku. Yes. For they had a big article, sort of summarizing what was in the game based on the leaks that were out there mm -hmm. that got people talking. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Well, we talked about this a little bit in our bonus Q&A um, last week for our beautiful Patreon community. But yeah, Kotaku is an outlet that has done this in the past. You know, they, they, they've done sort of these sort of gray area type stories where they talk about controversial things or it could be perceived that they're just like completely burning bridges with different publishers and things like that. You know, we certainly, when we were working at Nintendo and doing a lot of PR, we certainly had a bit of a rocky relationship with Kotaku where they were taken off of media review lists and things like that because of some of the articles they were publishing with some of some of the stuff that, you know, I think people are finding to be controversial. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm kind of not surprised that this came from Kotaku because they are an outlet that kind of does this kind of stuff, so. It is very on brand for them. Like yeah. For, for a long time, like yeah. they are just, not interested in following the written or unwritten rules of covering games. And it kind games. of is unwritten, to be fair. Like, yeah. I would say that a lot of the rules are in that gray area, mm -hmm. and they're just, like, on the side of, like, we, we'll just do what we want kind right. of thing, which that's their prerogative. I've been saying the ultimate heel move by them would be to say, we have the exclusive review based on a leaked version of the game. Holy <laughs> and that would be something. That, people will snap some pencils. That would they, be something. They're causing the PR team some, yeah. some aneurysms there. I, on, I mean, on its face, like cover, like the leaks are big news. Um, I think as long as you have adequate warning about like, yeah, we actually have like information on what leaked, like, I guess it's fine. It was there was some of the tone stuff though, where like it was being positioned as like, oh, we're getting revenge because the revenge thing you know, was a little bit Nintendo petty. didn't invite us or Nintendo didn't send us this game. Like I didn't like that part of it. Right, I think that's a little petty. If you're gonna be, um, again, those are all unwritten rules too. Like you can be petty if you want. If that is that what you want to do, that's fine. But I, I think in the long run, that just feels <clears throat> like it's unprofessional, right. you know. But. So, 
I don't know about you, and, and I actually have no way to actually quantify what, what is or isn't happening here, but my feeling is, like, Nintendo was not able to get this under control, this leak situation. No. Because you still hear about people not. who are like, oh, I'm just playing this game, or, yeah, I have this game, no big deal. It's like, it's still out there, no matter what they're doing. It still cannot be I don't know if there's contained. anything you can do. I don't I don't either. And in, in the world that we live in now. I mean where maybe maybe last maybe in the past it was just it happened late enough that the game came out and people moved on. But I think there are more and more people with the capabilities of being able to leave <clears throat> the game right. than ever before. Like people are more savvy about how to do that than ever before. And I think it's that number, that group is just gonna keep getting bigger. So I had a tweet last week um, that some people found interesting that our friend uh, OJ Player Essence made a whole video out of. Oh my. Which was, I just had a moment where I thought, oh, remember the Metroid Prime Trilogy? That was a game that came out of nowhere, was mm -hmm. a complete surprise, released digital first, and then they and physical came a couple weeks later. Yeah. Is that the way Nintendo is going to, to launch certain games where they are worried about these sorts of leaks or these sorts of you know, information control. Obviously not everything needs to do this, mm -hmm. but certain things. Would, would they ever do this? They're so traditional, you know, in their way of working and their way of releasing. And they, I think they see huge value in the physical, especially with the fans that are buying Nintendo mm -hmm. games physical. That's gonna be a tough conversation to convince somebody to do it. I think. Yes, I, I think this is a bad idea. I think this would be terrible for business. I think this would hurt the sales of these games. It would. And it would burn some bridges with retailers. It would. But I think there are certain people at Nintendo who are advocating for this. Yeah, because but I think to on, them, on the other side, there's certain people advocating against Because to them, this is life or death. Yeah. And I don't know, like if they ever did something like this, we would know they're full on into just arrogant Nintendo. And if I would and I would will buy anything. And I would start us. to get really concerned about like yeah. what is the Switch Two? What, so, what are they doing with the Switch Two? All digital. Right, based all on digital. this. <laughs> it just comes under with a all digital, lock and but, key. but we're not gonna have a backwards compatibility, yeah. so you have to rebuy all your stuff again. All right. digital though. I would start to get really worried if they did this. I hope they don't. I hope they're they can see beyond, you know, leaks as this big headline and as a thing that's gonna be a thorn in their side. The other thing that I think about a lot is like, you know, if they went down this really extreme route of going all digital and then physical later or something like that as a way to stem the leaks, I feel like it's only a matter of time before people are able to leak the digital versions. Yeah. I just don't think that you can fully say like, I'm gonna get this 100% under control forever. By doing these like crazy things, you know, yeah. I just sorry, but that's just not going to happen. It's but just, I just think people of, like, are going to leak it. <laughs> we know we know what happens. Like there has to be some response to this. Yeah, something must be done. Yeah, there is for a future long, games. There is like, a so, lot of questions. So what Japan are you doing team. different? What what process are you changing? Yeah, you can't just do nothing. So what do they do? I don't know. What do you do? That's something they could do. Well, this is going to be a cycle for them forever then. Because you're going to just live in a world where things are going to get leaked. Right. And you're going to panic about it and ask about what is going to be done. And the answer is always going to be, well, these things. But that's really not addressing the problem because the problem can't be solved. So 
if you're gonna live and die on these on the stuff and not focus on what you can control, what is in your my favorite phrase? Let's, de face, let's devil. Let's devil. Circle of control. Let's devil's advocate this this idea. Yeah. So if you did this, what are what are the upsides? You move people over to digital yeah. faster. Sure. Which has a higher profit margin for you. Okay. At least in the short term, again, like you were saying, what you, you are cutting down on these leaks. You're cutting it down. It will cut it down. Sure. That, I mean, I just came up with three reasons of why this is a quote, That's gonna be that a quote good thing to do. Again, I think there's a terrible Those people's argument is going to be that. I'm just going through the thought process. And yeah, you know what? It, it does depend on what Switch 2 is going to do. Yeah. Like, what if it is like, like, I have a PS5 that's digital only. Right. What if there's a digital only Switch 2? And then they're like, well, we have a console that's going to be digital only. So guess what? To cut down on these leaks, to support this console, right. to move people to digital, we're going to do this. Let, let, let me give you another devil's advocate. Or the retailers, the poor retailers. Well, the retailers can sell a POS card, point yeah. of sale card, yeah. for the same game. So that yeah. where the retailers can still make their money. I just they, came up with they, four great points. They used to say that that was an argument for retailers, the eShop the, the e cards or whatever, was like that Band-Aid for retailers yeah. for a long time. Because yeah. when we opened the eShop, the e our entire retail right. team was like, uh, hello, what about us? We have to have these meetings with these people. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do? And that was like their like brush off Band-Aid situation, which I'm sure made nobody happy, but whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I really, I truly, I just feel like it's such a- Point five. Oh. Hey, retailers. You're mad about this, but guess what? We have the Switch 2 coming at some point in the future. And you have You're not going to make a lot of noise about this, are you? Oh, boy. Are you? You're oh, going to keep your Nintendo. mouth shut about this, aren't you? You're just going to take it. Yeah, they, I mean, that's a very fair <laughs> I just came argument. up with five very ridiculous points. <laughs> I mean, that could be happening right now as we as we speak. Oh, my God. Don't give them any ideas. You know what they do. They listen to our podcast, and they, they do it. I'm just a devil's Don't advocate. Don't do it. You're giving them bad ideas. <laughs> Got to hear both sides. Got to hear both sides. Let's move on. Nintendo Live details. I love it when news come out on a Monday morning because we can get you. it into this podcast. Yes. So here's what we got with this new information. The event is happening September 1st through 4th, as we predicted. Yes. Which is over, what, what month? Is, what, Labor Day? Labor Day weekend. Labor yes. Day weekend. Mm hmm In Seattle, the Seattle Convention Center. It is yes. happening in conjunction with PAX. They had a joint press release. That was a wrinkle that I should have seen coming in hindsight. And, and you should as well. Why me? Why me? <laughs> Why are you pointing at me? You. <laughs> I'm blameless. We well, we did talk about what would happen with PAX. Right. But I guess the solution is in conjunction with PAX. Right. They are having, no surprise, Mario Kart 8 and Splatoon tournaments there. Of they are having qualifiers for the tournaments at Nintendo Live, which will start at the end of May. Mm -hmm. To get tickets, they're this using... This is what I was talking about. There's a lottery system. They're using a lottery system... The registration is May 31st through June 22nd, so there's a big window of time. Tickets are free. Mm -hmm. Tickets are only good for one day, mm -hmm. and there is a way to register like as a group. So I think you and I are going to have to register as a family. Oh, cute. <laughs> to go to Nintendo. Yay! <laughs> We're not going to get in. People want to go to group or aren't in families too, Nintendo. Oh. Yeah, what, what if you had a group of friends? That's mean. Well, now you're a family. Oh. And they also they also had a big a big thing in their FAQ. No, no announcements. announcements will be made. <laughs> Don't expect nothing. Um, so this yeah. is pretty much everything that we need for this yeah. until we get a little bit closer. Yeah, and now you can share. make your plans and book your travel right. as needed and all that. 
all that good I stuff. I guess the big question I still have is if I register, when am I going to hear if I got in or not, if I won this lottery? Right. Because, again, if I'm out of town, I still need time to book a flight or a hotel during yeah. during packs. I guess what, people, what they are banking on is that you're going to packs anyway. Then why? Then let's give up with this song and dance of like, oh, we want grandma to come. The people who go to this are the people who go to PAX. But if you register as a family, grandma can come. Are you grandma now? I'll be grandma. You're going to be grandma. I'll be grandma. You'll be Link. I'll be in, in my chair with a soup. <laughs> I'm pretty much a grandma anyway, honestly. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that that's what... It's very confusing because it doesn't need to be this confusing. But it's only this confusing because the Japan team did it like this. And the U.S. team has to do what the Japan team says. That's yeah, they don't really have a leg to stand on to say, let's do it a different way. No, because like, they've no, never done this. No, you're, we've done this to, to great success. You're going to do it this way. Yeah, they're very good at telling you what to do. So, 100%, they are calling the shots yeah. here. 100%. So, we, we're going to go to PAX West. We are, we'll register. We're, we're going to register for this. I'll say, though, like if we end up not being able to get in, eh. it's not going to feel like the end of the world. We've been to the Nintendo one, which, in all honesty, will probably be better than this one. It was fun. Um, yeah. I, again, I don't expect a lot of things that you haven't seen before to exactly. be here. It's going to be, 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 be a fun thing to go be fun. to. There's going to be, like be a fun photo ops. You'll have your little stage show with some gameplay yeah. or some competition. You get but again, like, there's sports. no problem filling a weekend at PAX. So yeah, PAX is already like a like, full fine, thing. Fine, we'll just spend more time there. So Yeah. Maybe we should register with Reggie. The three of us can be a family. Oh, the family? Oh, there should we, we go. Should we ask him? Yes. I that is the idea. <laughs> I think that is the good idea. And if we don't get in, we can just hang out with Reggie. Whatever. <laughs> somebody, I mean, like, now someone, somebody's furiously going like, through furiously the thing. Furiously checking that, like, my, pizza my, pizza my. We're really not trying to be annoying. It's just kind of fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All May, right, May thirty first. That's coming up in like uh, a couple weeks. Oh man, I'm All gonna right. cry now. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna call Reggie after this. See if he wants to. It's in his backyard. It is. He can go for free. Why not? Right. We're crowd surfing, Reggie. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Um, that's going to be fun, actually. Okay, let's do that. <clears throat> Plans are being made. But yeah, we're going to go to PAX anyway, so yeah. we'll be in Seattle. So, yeah. We have some non-Nintendo news. Mm-hmm. We So last week, there was this incredible interview with Phil Spencer on Kind of Funny. We did a whole video on this reaction. Yeah, so you yeah, should, should watch, watch that it. interview if you have not. It's been about a week now. Right. But it's got people wondering what's up with Xbox and if they're ever going to fix some of the problems they've been having for yeah. a while now. And, you know, Phil Spencer, as he usually is, was just extremely honest and open and yeah. candid about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, he fell on the sword again about this. But, you know, th- these are not all problems of his making. Just wonder, like, at what point does he get sick of this? I'd be sick of it already. Um, but kudos to him for being a executive that's not scared to do these kinds of interviews. Like, we were talking about, like, how... In what universe does, you know, a Nintendo exec do this? Like, never. They would cancel the interview. Yeah. Because it's like, no, we're not going to get ourselves into a situation where we're going to Or they be, would say, like, we can't talk about we this. We can't talk about this. They'd be very, it's like, and then you'll get the... We the, need to talk about Nintendo Live. You'll get, like, some canned PR response right. about it, which will be just, you know, it's whatever. A, it's a non-answer. It's a non-answer. Yeah. But Phil does not shy away from these kinds of things, and I have some respect, um, a lot of respect for, uh, you know, for him doing it. And also the kind of funny team did not shy away from asking the tough questions, which also 
a lot of respect to them, you know? So it's great to see the honesty on both sides. Really interesting interview. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting time for for Xbox. And, and yeah, I, I do wonder. They need a win. They need, like, one win to just get them yeah. out of the slump, so you the thing, know? The thing that sparked all this was the Redfall reviews were very bad. It's at a 59 Metacritic. Which, ouch. And that was one of their big games this year, too. I will say, this was my prediction for Xbox. They had a very rocky first half of the year and then oh, it starts true. to turn around they're gonna it's gonna happen but but, do we do we um huh? predict the metacritic for redfall in our video mm, i don't remember okay maybe i had to look do back. not remember but I've, we, nobody re expected that they didn't expect this is that. what we were predicting for the harry potter game by the way oh we didn't know on that it's yeah, okay we missed that completely so yeah they've got their game showcase coming out in june lots writing on that yeah um, Starfield Direct. Starfield Direct. I mean, that it just game. I, I, I've, the other thing about that is like, I just feel the pressure yeah. for that poor team on Starfield. It's like everything is riding yeah, on I mean, this now because Redfall wanna, is just. You don't want to say like one game makes or breaks a whole platform, but it's starting to feel that way. Well, they're going to rely on it so heavily right. now, so it's just going to be tough. But um, yeah, hopefully they they will announce some stuff um, in June that is games that we haven't heard about for a while that can help like take some of the pressure off Redfall. I'm sorry, off uh, Starfield as well. But um, I feel it, I feel it for Xbox. I, I'm rooting for them. I want them to be okay and to, to come back. So yeah. Yeah, for the first year or so after the PS5 and the Xbox came out, remember they came out right around the same time, it seemed like they were sort of neck and they, neck with totally sales. Totally neck and neck, yeah. But now they're very clearly in third place. Yeah, and, and PS5 and is, just, is, is actually skyrocketing a bit. It's going great, It's yeah. going really well for them. And they, they still have a huge, great game coming, which is Spider-Man, so... Yeah, Xbox is just in a hole, though, so... <clears throat> Tough for them. Tough. This last news thing actually has nothing to do with games, but it seems like it could have some impact yeah. eventually on games. We want to talk about it, and I don't know if people know this, but in Hollywood, the Writers Guild of America is on strike. And once you start to dig into like the reasons and kind of the points that are sticking with them and sort of the leadership of the studios, you wonder like, oh, this, this could happen in games maybe. Someday. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's typical stuff about like fair pay and, you know, it seems like one of the, the sticking points is the studios kind of want to push writing out of being like a long-term career into more of like a, the gig economy. Yeah, like where, the where you're freelance. Just projects yeah. or you're freelancing. Yeah. Um, but there was one really interesting point, and you and I have been just kind of proactively interested in this yeah, and following it. I, I think so. Where... As it was coming up time to, to negotiate their contract, they were saying like, hey, you know, we want to have these assurances that artificial intelligence is not going to be used in a way that sort of puts us out of a job or starts to replace us. Mm -hmm. And they just proactively brought that up. And the studios were like, absolutely. absolutely we absolutely not. reject all of these points. Some of the, like, they, they, some of the writers have shared the actual contract. <clears throat> right. And the wording in there is so insulting right. to the writer. It's like, we will not discuss this with you. Like, we will absolutely have artificial intelligence as part of our... Right, so what that shows is that, yes, they, like, were, they were thinking about this. And they've totally discounted your 
you know, your 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 expertise as a writer. Right. It's like crazy. I mean, we should say the whole like streaming model right now is kind of in shambles. It's absolutely. It's like a race to the to last. All place, of these basically. services are just bleeding money. So I can see yeah. why they're trying to like find ways to make things up. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, this feels it's like a real really like, bad. bad idea. <laughs> but you do think like, gosh, like if this, whatever happens with this could become a precedent in games in, games. in the yeah, future. Absolutely. Or it's like, oh, well, especially since Hollywood is always looked at as like the, the beacon, model. the model yeah. for games. It's like, oh, well, Hollywood's now just using AI to write its script, so we're going to do this too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would be um, a tough move and a bad move. We did, we did here at GDC this tool that Ubisoft has called the Ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And everybody now, seemed to this think... this one is where I was like, this is the right implementation of this technology. Yeah, everybody thought this was a good implementation. People were scared when they first heard about it, but it, it's only for writing these, these little one-liners that NPCs do. Right. It's very thoroughly um, checked and rewritten by an actual writer, an actual person. Mm-hmm. And, but, and it is not touching like the main like script dialogue yeah. characters and of I the game. The most important thing that was something that stood out to me about this tool um, is that the premise of it is that because you're using this technology to do some of the more, you know, mundane or repetitive work, you free up time for your talented writers to actually focus on bigger things to make make your game experience, your narrative experience better. I think if that is sort of the guardrails that we set for something like this, this kind of technology, like, then, then we're going in the right direction. Yeah. But it seems like the, on the Hollywood side, it's all about like cost cutting, disrespect for you know human talent and um, you know like the the work that a writer does, and it's all based on saving money. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where it kind of falls apart for me in terms of value. And yeah, it just doesn't make sense to do that. So basically everything in Hollywood has just stopped. Like there were these stories of like, oh, the new uh, Stranger Things season has just stopped. Yeah. Because there's nobody stopped. to write it. Yeah. And they yeah. say like- Marvel if, movies have stopped. Yeah. The, the most hilarious thing, um, if we're looking at a, a silver lining in the in this not so great story, is that they have like picket lines, right? Of the people. Oh, the signs are funny. Yeah. The signs are written so well because they're writers. Yeah. <laughs> I love the one that said like, if you um, don't, you know, if, we're going to stay on strike until you- meet our demands or else we're going to spoil succession and i died it was hilarious it was so good (laughs) so funny the one thing to point out though is so there is a union for writers in hollywood there's no such union in games no so that that is an interesting distinction but yeah yeah, i'm curious for more people in games writing to to share their their thoughts on this because i'd love to to hear about it yeah i've I've seen some stuff but I, i feel like it just feels like this is going to have a ripple effect into games. Oh, for sure, for point. sure, yeah. yeah. So worth to look into if you're interested in that. Let's get into questions from our Patreon community. We get every single question from our Patreon subscribers. They're all Zelda-themed this week. Oh, great. <clears throat> and the first is from Cerulean Dragon. Hey, Kit and Krista had a fun question as we head into Zelda week. In a hypothetical world where Breath of the Wild was released in 2015 as first teased, do you think it would have been enough to save the Wii U? Would it have received the level of praise it received when it launched on the Switch and Wii U in 2017, or do you think the response would be more muted? Do you think it would have had the same impact on the game industry as a whole? For these questions, assume that the game released in exactly the same state as it did in 2017. Same gameplay, same performance, same everything, just two years sooner. 
I know that's not how game dev works, but it's a fun hypothetical to think about. Oh, I love a good what if situation. Yeah, unfortunately, I think if Breath of the Wild released in 2015 before Switch, it would not have had the same impact um, at all as it did in 2017 alongside as, as a launch title mm-hmm. for Switch. I think in the latter years of Wii U, there were some amazing, high quality, it, great games. It would have been just another in the, in the lineage of great Wii U games that yeah. never had an audience. And they would have to re-release it on the on next Switch. system. And then you would have lost that initial yeah. like excitement, the initial right. momentum that you could have gained from launching a huge game. Right, and I can totally just imagine the headlines of like, oh, Breath of the Wild makes a Wii U worth owning, finally. Yeah, and then but it's too little too late. It was too late, because this was very late in the, the Wii U yeah. cycle. So, yeah, yeah I, I think we agree on this. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think anything could have saved the Wii U. <laughs> so let's just port all the titles over, okay? Yeah, so yeah. we can all play it. <laughs> Hi, X. Hey, K2 and K1, it's now the end of April 2023. At this point, what are the actual chances that we'll get Wind Waker oh. and or Twilight Princess on Heart. Switch? If there really is a chance of a new console next year, they better get on it if it's coming. I've never played Wind Waker and have been trying to wait for a Switch release. Now my fate is in your hands. Do I keep waiting or do I have to buy a copy on Wii U? Kayaks, I saw you in the Discord saying you bought a copy of Wind Waker HD. Wind Waker HD on Wii U is actually very good and a great way to play the game. I'm so jealous that you've never played this game before because you get to experience it for the first time, which is pretty cool. Um... They have these games. They're literally sitting on these games. It's done. They're just waiting for the right time to release it. We have. We don't know that. We do know that. Well, we don't know it. We don't know that. But I, I do feel like that's what's happening. I go by, again, I like Jeff Grubb. I think he has a good line of information. He has said, <laughs> he has said that these exist. These exist. He's, not, he's not always right about like the, you know, the specifics of like when something will come out or like when it'll get announced, but I, I go on that. So I do think they exist. Yeah. And again, we talk about, you know, once the the, the schedule starts to get shaky, these mm-hmm. are great to sort of plug big holes in the schedule. Yeah. So at first, before, now that we're like day hours from Tears of the Kingdom, we were like, oh, this will be great. Like quote unquote, Nintendo loves warm up marketing. Like these two games releasing on Switch would be great warm-up marketing in the months um, leading up to Tears of the Kingdom to get people like into the right. Zelda mindset. Now I've, I've switched my... What's I've the opposite switched, of warming up? <laughs> cooling down. Like um, an old man putting Icy Hot on <laughs> something. Gay or something. Yeah. Um, no, I feel like now it's like, now they're in the, we got to sustain the Zelda momentum mode okay. because Tears of the Kingdom will have life, but only for so long. So they might release these games as a way to do the momentum sustaining mm-hmm. marketing, which is like, you like this Zelda game. Play this one now. Try like this play one. It, try this yeah. one. They love doing that. So that could be something that they release. And if they these games are done and they're just sitting on it waiting for the right timing, then it, it can fill up fill a gap that they, they might have this year at some point and also help to maintain the momentum of all things Zelda, which they're interested in doing. Yeah. So that's what I think. I have hope that it's still coming this year. Okay. Then says, hello, Kit and Krista. Here's a question for Zelda week. Has Nintendo ever considered getting novelization done for any of their IP? With some games with so many details that could be made into a book, I feel like The Legend of Zelda could be made into an excellent book or series. 
They stepped into movies, why not books? It may be a good way to get to know earlier games in the series or perhaps other details we may not know about. I think this is a great idea. This is a great idea. I would love to read a book um, about the, the Legend of Zelda series. But... Do you have those comics? That is true. There's a lot of comics that are out there. The thing that Nintendo dislikes, though, they have a weird, like, hang-up about this, is like... What are you going to say? You don't know. I really want to know what you're going to say right now. They don't like it when games are done in, like, all text or, like, all voice and no video. Remember when we tried to launch the... Nintendo Power podcast, they like not wrap their heads. Yeah, like, no visuals. Why would anyone want to hear about a game and not Readings see Readings for losers. It's like, I totally see them <laughs> saying this. It's like, why would anyone want to read text on a page about a yeah. game when they could be playing that game or like seeing a visual of so, it? So. Real hung up on that kind of stuff. My, my read on this is like, so I think something like a Xenoblade Chronicles would make an amazing book. Oh yeah. Like a book The series? problem with it. The, the longer we go with Zelda, the thing about Link not talking becomes a bigger issue. Because mm. how do you do a book, like, and he blinked silently, like how many, how many dialogue things can there be where Link just like stares at you? Yeah. Link, you I think, say I think, something. Yeah. And they can't have a book version Link be That's what the I'm first saying. time he says a thing. Exactly. Like there's no way. So, they, have, they have to make a game where he says something first. So I think this is a great idea. I actually think Zelda is a tough fit for it until they get around that. Oh my God, they're going to make him talk. I can't stand fan, that. The fan riots when Link talks are, you, like, you thought Chris Pratt was. I will be at the start of that riot line. You thought Chris Pratt was something? Like, oh man. You ain't saying nothing <laughs> Wait yet. Wait till Chris Pratt does Link. <laughs> Don't say that. You're putting some energy out into the universe that I dislike. I really dislike this energy. Um, I rule. Here we come. This is me at the start of the picket line. <laughs> What's your pithy sign gonna say? I don't know. Silent Prince. <laughs> Kilo Kipo has the next question. Hi, Kit and Krista. I'm so happy to finally join the Patreon family after watching Aww. your podcast religiously since launch. It's one of the few weekly things I look forward to. Welcome. That's very nice. Here's my question. In spirit of Zelda Week and the release of Tears of the Kingdom, Zelda Fever will be at an all-time high. If Nintendo and Universal announce the development of a Zelda-based theme park, what kind of rides or attractions would you like to see? Could the formula they used in the Mario-based theme park work, or would it be better to do something completely different? I, for one, would love to chow on some dubious food at the Bokoblin (laughs) Camp Cafe and then go on the Sky Island roller coaster. Keep up the great work. Oh, that's a great question to imagine what a Zelda theme park would. And so many opportunities. I think. Here we go. The Nintendo Land Zelda game could actually work super oh, well. with the, the arrow. Yes, where you're you kind of on rails. The, on the rails. Like, so you're all in like a, like, a, like a teacup or something. You can be like in a horse. Fine. Like a, opponent, but there's four of you like sitting on in a opponent. giant on a giant horse. Yeah. And like and one person has a little stick, like a sword. One person has like a bow. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. And you just go, and you're wearing like the AR glasses. And yeah. you're, wouldn't that be great? That would be so fun. I would love that. It's and then, right there. And then you can get the points at the end. Nintendo like, Land did? redeemed. This is the this is the final redeemed. redemption. No octopus game, but we'll play the Zelda <laughs> one for IRL. Um, the other thing I would I would love is like yeah, if they had like a cool um, flying one where you can sit on the back of a loft oh. wing. Because the Harry Potter ride has. Do you like mean a, like a roller coaster where it's like, whoa? No, 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 no. Not, not a roller coaster. Like, okay. it, it like slowly kind of okay. flies you through, and you can see, like, um, this is a stupid comparison because this ride would be much better than that. But, like, when you're at Disneyland and you're on the Peter Pan ride, you're, you're in, like, a, a flying ship, 
and then like you can see the world of Peter Pan, like London, like like an overhead view of it. So you could see like Hyrule like oh, stretched out that's cool. below you with like all these different landmarks and all these different like cool little Easter eggs that they can put in that you could like point out like different you know spots on the in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be really fun. Link has the next question. Since it's not really an option for you to avoid social media completely until Tears of the Kingdom releases, what is your strategy to avoid leaks? I Clearly we have a different point of view here. Have not you know what I have I've been on social media and I have not really come across a lot of like blatant like yeah. leaks in my face. Yeah. So I'm happy that people seem to be a little bit considerate. I've seen a lot of tweets about or like posts about warning people to be careful of leaks that are in existence. But you're not like muting things. I haven't muted anything. On Twitter. No. You're not you're not on the full blackout. No, I'm not at all. But I haven't How been would you feel spoiled. if you did if if you did, did just scroll and see something? Would you be upset? I would be so mad. Oh. I would like throw my phone out the window. Well, maybe you so should be mad. muting things then. I'm not on it that much though. You're on social media much more than me. You mean I'm working? You're, I'm well, doing work? Yeah, you're working. So you do need to do this kind of stuff. I, I like go to the Kit and Krista page and retweet stuff and that's it. Um, <laughs> so I keep my activities limited to my very small circle. But um, yeah, I, I don't. I haven't done like any muting or anything like that. Um, People have been considerate this time around. Yeah. I do think people are considerate, which is good. I'm again. You I, saw them. You I'm actively not, seek not, them out. I'll, it's like I'll just take it. I'll take the information. Uh, what? Uh, what? So, yeah. Uh, why do you? Why are you? I'm like, curious. I'm curious. You, so you just know what's going to happen. I don't know everything. I haven't been. I haven't been like. Oh, I'm, I'm going to find everything that I can. But I've certainly seen some stuff. Yeah. I won't tell you. Don't, don't worry. Don't tell me. I won't tell you. I don't even want to look in your eyes because right. I feel like I'm going to know. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, the, I can't believe that you did that. Most games, like I don't. It's like I'll experience it um, in my own way. About story, we have bad. different. We there are th different things that we come to games for. You and I. Yeah, very different. Yeah, and also like movies, you don't care if you get spoiled from movies at all. Oh no! Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. Okay, whatever. <clears throat> Mad Dog Five Nine Eight One asks, "Hi, Kit and Krista. Why do you think there has never been a remake or remaster of the original Legend of Zelda?" It seems like something that would have happened by now, considering the original game is a bit difficult to play by modern standards. Mm -hmm. Other classics of the NES era have received this treatment to various degrees, such as Mario All-Stars and Metroid Zero Mission. It seems like Zelda's 35th anniversary would have been a perfect opportunity to do this, considering that Nintendo actually did not do all that much to celebrate the occasion. You got a Game & Watch, though. <laughs> so the good... <sighs> The bad news is that this hasn't happened. Yeah. The good news is there are a lot of 2D, like, retro Zelda games that could be redone. Right, right. And I think, I, I do appreciate that they have tried hard to, like, balance, like, the 3D and 2D Zeldas. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. My, my hope is that after Tears of the Kingdom, there's some sort of a 2D game, whether it's original or, or a remake, to just keep that. Alive because mm -hmm. I think they're both very very valid and yeah. both have their own. They have bases. seen those thing those those two types of games as, as kind of like different paths for the series as well. Yeah. Like Mr. Arnima talked about that before. Like they they kind of see the two D games as like smaller, more contained Zelda games, and then the three D games being like very mm -hmm. you know grand or whatever. Right. So I can see that world where just they continue to exist alongside each other. 
And yeah, I would love a remaster of the original Legend of Zelda. I think it would be great to have some quality of life things put in and, and some ways to make it more accessible. Because yeah, it's yeah. very, very difficult. And yeah. it's hard for like a normal person to play that game nowadays. And I think we all owe it to the series that we love to understand the origins. So that would be great. I would love that. Also, and again, don't forget Zelda 2. Not top-down, not 3D, side-scrolling. You just want to be scared. Very deserving. Of a, I, might, I might play some of that game tonight, actually. What if you get scared tonight? I probably will. <laughs> what are you going to do? keep the lights on. Yeah, lights on. Yeah. But <laughs> Crowded room. if they do an original Zelda, Legend of Zelda remake, I would want them to do a different art style. Don't just reuse the Link's Awakening art style. Mm, okay. Yeah. For, to me, like it needs something a bit... Like le less glossy than that, a bit less plasticky. It worked great for that game. Less toy like, yeah. more lifelike. We we know Link in a different capacity. Yeah, or do now, something right? that's like like cell shaded, not like Toon Link, but something that looks like some of that old artwork would be really mm -hmm. neat. There's a lot of ways they could do it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So so again, this is this is the glass half full to this. Is like there's a lot that they could do, mm -hmm. and they're probably thinking about. And it. obviously, they they see that the interest for Zelda is very high. Super high. So yeah. And they're probably getting very you know confident about more Zelda games. <clears throat> right. So that's a that's a good thing. Robot Penguin has the next question. Hi guys, do you think we'll ever see a Zelda Maker game mm. where we can make our own top-down Zelda levels and dungeons? They already have this in some form in the Link's Awakening remake, but I'd love it if they went ahead and made an official release of one. Would they want to make it? I don't know, because Mario Maker 2 did not do very well. I, um, I also think this is a no. So this is probably gonna be lower on the list. Because Maybe not a forever no but lower on the list. Yeah, I don't know if we ever see a Mario Maker 3, which is a real bummer. Like, we'll oh, never see I it. I love We'll Mario. never see it. We'll never see Switch it. Switch 2? Mario we'll Maker? Never. They'll just port over Mario Maker 2. They'll do like Mario Maker 2, the, the deluxe edition or something like that. And fix the online. DX! But, yeah. You know, make, like making a, a Mario level is a lot easier to do than making a Not whole a lot of people can make a Zelda, Zelda dungeon. dungeon or a whole Zelda yeah. game. Is. Although we did, yeah, the Link Awakening thing had that little bitty thing that, that we was did for simplified. each other. That was fun though. Very fun. I mean, I think for it to be a whole thing on its own though, it needs to have more to it, more to it than that. And not a lot, a lot of people have the talent to really do Yeah, that. so I think like if, if they thought like, oh boy, like not many people actually wanted to make stuff in Mario Maker, like it's How gonna are be they gonna make, even fewer yeah. people doing this. Right. There's a game I've seen some mm -hmm. people talking about, I, I think it's just called Dungeon Maker? that people are saying like is basically okay. this. I haven't tried it out, but I've seen a lot of people yeah. saying that. So Robot Penguin, maybe uh, look into that. There you go. Last question is not Zelda themed at all, I lied. Oh. But it, it's a feel good. Bruce Dash. Hey, Kit and Krista, I embedded a question within this post towards the end. Uh, oh, here we go. With the main podcast episodes and the bonus Q&A questions combined, you've already answered well over a thousand questions. Wow. Can you really? believe it? No. Do you feel that you've answered this many questions from the Patreon community? Thanks again for answering our questions and keeping up the good work. I not. That's a lot. Any inkling thousand. that we answered over a thousand questions. Bruce Dash, that's a great stat for us. Um, yeah. We're, we're, we love it. I think one of the unexpected, wonderful things about our Patreon community is how many great, insightful questions we get every week um, for both this podcast and our, our bonus Q&A. We always want to, you know, answer your questions and, and keep talking to you guys. And so this is a, a really fun way for us to do that. Yeah, this is something that when we started, I thought would sort of peter out a little bit. Yeah. Where there was a big rush 
but people would say like, all right, we found out everything we need to know yeah, through questions. Right. So now there's like <laughs> one or two a week. But it's like every time I check that, it's like, like a new dump of questions, it's which great. are great. It's awesome. And I go we through them it. all every week. So if I've if we've answered a thousand, I've looked at thousands more. You yeah, you have looked at multiple <laughs> but thousands. But they're all great. Of so yeah, keep it coming. It's super keep fun for us to answer these. Coming. And yes. great way to plug our bonus Q and A, Patreon exclusive at the notification squad and up tiers. Yes, the bonus thing is spicy. Very. They get some spicy stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. That is it for the questions. Wow. What an episode. Shout out some Patreon superstars. Yeah. Here we go. Aaron Hash. Ben Eichhorn. Maru Mayhem. Eigenverse. Kiss My Flapjack. Mike Chin. Mr. Rogers. Roy Eschke. Switching it up. Underscore. Safazon. The Shark Among Men. VGM Life. Link, the Hero of Winds. Angela Bycroft and Pig Molly. Turbocharged Nerd. Thomas O'Rourke. Kyle LaBeouf. Christopher Lara. Simon. Simon's back. Exciting times. Couldn't keep him away for long. No, he, he couldn't. He can keep away from <laughs> us. My precious Simon. All right. Um, let's go to our beautiful one-up club graduation ceremony. A. Ron Burgundy. Adam and Ansley. Ajahn Malari. Ale Alejandro. Alexandra Pratt. Andrew Uhas. Astro Death. Blazed and Enthused. Bookum Dano. Brad SF56. Brooke Obscura. Brookie Kazooie. Bruce Dash. Chelly Squirrel. Christopher Lay. Cozy Tar. Captain Alex. C Roper 17. Daniel Cold. Daniel Phillips. Daniel Valencia. Doxa. Desert Cold 18. D Dash. Dolce. Dino Punch. Elite Peach. Espars 50. Far Priest 69. Fairbound. Fernie and Jess Forever. Fox Deploy. Fred Rossi. Frederick Ulf Conradson. Thank God. Garrett Holfish. Garth the Wolf. Gartooth. G Sun 101. Ian Chib. Iris Marin. Israel Izzy. Jay Rando. Jabroni Jones. JBJ. Jeffrey Hernandez. Jerry 92602. Jesse Hernandez. John Responte. Jonathan Rowe. Jordan Collette. Jordan Hemmerling. Joseph DeHayes. Joshua Clements. Juji Fruit. Jess Camtro. Justin Leminger. Kawa 2796. Keith Kwan. Kelpshake. Kevin Delane. Kilo Kibo. Krisu. Christopia Party With Me. Kyle Gamer Barry Rookie. Kyle Kretzer. Kyler Nelson. Linnell Stickman. Lemma. Lit. Mad Dog 5981. Marky Man 64. Mecha Dragon 101. Megan. Michael Cravens. Mikey. Modemania. Mr. Andy Pong. MSM Poke Gamer. Mr. Beans and Dip. My Trim. Nasir. Nathan Burkhart. Panda Buns. Paul C. Pace. Paul Gale Network. Prime Factor. Prince Charmless. Reaver. Rain Tech. Ray Charon. Ryuji Utsuho Oku'u. Renee Rivers. Rick Alvarado. Ryoth One. RJ Kern. Rob Osborne. Rocks. Rianetta. Sam Newland. Sharif Jackson. Shinryu. Slowbro. Shrews. Silly Ferret. SJ Sharky 777. Spicy Munchkin. Steel Citrone. Tales of Link. Tefu. Terra Storm. Thomas Alvarez. Topher Schmofer. Travis Toraline. Troopage. Tugs Puppy Bear. Tusku. Twin Dragons 76. Tyler Geis. Tyler and Tracy. Vesves. Video Game Stupid. Virtual Bot. Wicked Davey. Will Ernst. Will Johnson. Zooniverf. Zelgaroth. Zapati. Oh. Zroid. Zroid was sweating bullets when we saw another Z come through in the One Up Club. Why? That might not be last anymore. Oh. But Zapati, though. Could... Like the anchor of a relay. The end of the list is a very important role. Zroid! <laughs> That's his role. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. I can't believe that we're going to be ending this podcast and moving on to be playing Tears of the Kingdom. I am. You're not. In a mere hours. 
You guys! It's happening. It's happening. Yes. I'm so excited. Okay, well, don't forget to subscribe to us on our Patreon channel. It is patreon.com slash, why did I say channel? Patreon.com slash Kit and Krista. If you are watching this on YouTube, you can subscribe to this channel, Kit and Krista. This is a channel. You can give this video a thumbs up and leave a comment. If you're listening on audio, you can leave a five-star rating and also leave a review and also subscribe. Oh boy, and follow us on the socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook. That's it. At a time, by this time next week, we would have been playing Tears of the Kingdom for one whole week. And so will you. And so will you. So let's go do that. Yes. Bye. Bye.